Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome to the special Christmas 2020 edition of The Shed Wireless and it's a real, virtual, socially distanced, COVID safe, alcohol free, occupational health and safety approved, low fat, high fibre party. Going up, the stars of The Shed Wireless pick their favourite bits from the 20 episodes so far. I think almost 35 hours of The Wireless you would listen to if you were in The Shed have been produced. No one wants to relive 2020, but it hasn't been all bad, especially here on The Wireless. And we are going to enjoy the best bits all over again. A few bonus surprises as well. Hello, I'm Aaron Carney, and in the house for this special celebration, we have not one, but both of our co-hosts. I don't know if they've ever been seen in the same room before. Chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association, Paul Sladden, hello. Hello. And Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, David Helmers, welcome. Hello, everybody. Hello, Aaron. Oh, but it doesn't end there. We have AMSA Men's Health Project Officer who has tackled life's challenges without fear or favour, but with good humour and wisdom here on the Shed Wireless, Stuart Torrance. Here we go, Aaron. We have Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail, the doctor we ask when we ask the doc. Hello, Rob. G'day there. And we have the shedder that no one could root, shoot or electrocute, but he regularly manages to do those things to himself. Hello, Rip Woodchip. G'day, Aaron. G'day, fellas, and g'day, shedders. How y'all going today? Great to be here. Merry Christmas to you. The best time of the year, eh? Love it. All right, I'm going to go around the table and ask you all the same question. I want you to finish this sentence. The sentence starts, when I think about 2020. Paul Sladden, when you think about 2020? I think about how neighbours and strangers have loosened up and communicated a hell of a lot better. One of the positives I've found out of 2020 is that um, you know people are discovering their neighbours and people are used to nod to in the street will actually stop down and, uh, and have a chat about things. So I think it's even though we've been asked to keep apart, in many ways I believe it has brought us together and I find that a real positive, Aaron. Oh, fantastic. And a positive note to start on. You don't have to be positive about it. I'll be interested to hear from you, David Helmers. When you think of 2020, David Helmers. Uh, Look, I think of those frustrating days of homeschooling and how ineffective that was once the student got expelled and the teacher got the sack for drinking on the job. Um, I think of the absence from the golf course for a while as well, but that was, I made up plenty of time for that, so I can't complain too much. And on a positive note, I suppose the way we all adapted to the whole COVID pandemic, you know, I think a lot of us, and I remember back to those early weeks there was a lot of fear there um, of where this was going to go and what worst case scenario type things. But we all were told to go home, stay home from work, work from home, not go out. And I think Australia collectively looked at that as, you know, we're the 
the land of love a good long weekend and this one went for three months. So <laughs> and the way we all reacted to that, I think, yeah, it was commendable and we look at it now and touch wood, things are on the bright side compared to a, a lot of areas of the world. So we've come out pretty well at the end. Yeah, ironically, despite that three-month holiday, there's a bit of data about at the moment that suggests that we're more productive at home than we are when we go to the office. So make sense of that. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think looking at AMSA and how we've worked through the pandemic is a good example of how that how that's worked as well. So, yep, totally agree, mate. Rob McLaughlin, you have been in Melbourne where you've had a different experience to many through 2020. So finish this sentence for us. When you think of 2020, what will you think? Oh, gee, well, obviously, (laughs) tritely, I'm pleased it's over. But on a positive way, what an extraordinary team effort right across Victoria, particularly Melbourne, has put on. I think people will be reflecting on it as a sort of a community joint cohesive activity for years to come. And I think even internationally, what was able to be achieved in in difficult circumstances is quite extraordinary. So I'm giving a big tick to my Melbournians down here and obviously a tick to all the things that David was talking about around the country. There's a lot of social cohesion, understanding this is a hell of a thing and we stood up and I think we've knocked it over, you know, God willing. I'm also agree that, you know, it's going to permanently change the way we think and do business, both socially but also professionally. And productivity is going to change as a result of this. Work practices will change. It's like an accelerator. It's been an evolutionary incubator, accelerator for the way I think we're going to move towards a, a new workplace setup. So, Hell of a year, ending well, a big tick to the team across the country, and let's be positive. Terrific answer. Stuart Torrance, finish this sentence for us. When I think of 2020? When I think of 2020, I think of a train wreck. We had so many plans, so many things to do, and it all just came crashing down um, with no hair or fanfare. It, It was just stopped dead in its tracks it says something about the year it was just a dead year and finally he's seen a few years but 2020 is one that will be burned in his memory rip Woodchip, how will you remember 2020 mate it feels like i've been sitting in the passenger seat of a b-double full of nitroglycerin driving down the Stewart highway with stevie wonder at the wheel and a barrel of monkeys fighting over the gears in the front cabin bloody crazy It's a long journey and no idea whether you're going to make the destination or not. But I tell you what, what a hell of a ride, eh? The best thing about it is that so many of those stubborn old bastards down in the shed that always refuse technology have finally embraced it and are starting to use it to their advantage and keep it in touch with their loved ones. Love to see it. You've come into our lives, Rip, so 2020 has not been all bad. Thank you for your perspectives, gentlemen. The way today's show is going to work is, as you know, I've asked each of you as contributors to the show to pick a favourite bit that somebody else contributes to the show. And so what I'm going to do, interspersed with a few special guest messages as well, is grab each of you, have a conversation about what your favourite bit is, and then we will listen back to that bit. So let's do it. Let's get on with the show. 
This is the Shed Wireless. Paul Sladen is the chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association and you've had some quite close personal connections to one or two of our celebrity segments this year and so I thought you'd be the perfect person to find a celebrity conversation to replay. We've been very lucky on the Shed Wireless to have some really high-profile men who have achieved amazing things come on and talk about life, health, ageing, going from who they were to who they are now, and it really has been illuminating. I know you've heard them all. Who are you picking? Well, look, it was a very difficult task. Aaron, um, as you said, there's been some fantastic guests and, uh, you know, from all walks of life and, um, you know, various professions, et cetera, et cetera. But look, I cannot go past Michael Caton, apart from the obvious connection of uh, Bonnie Doon and the castle. I just found his interview really, really humbling, very honest, straightforward chap. I related to his issues of depression and the fact that there are people out there to assist us, those that um, may be suffering you know, moments of depression, but to go out and to seek help and to hear his story about how he he spent 12 months prior to the filming of The Castle getting his act together, I think was just uh, very inspiring. And, of course, the work that he's done, my favourite characters, um, you know, Uncle Harry from The Sullivans and, of course, Daryl Kerrigan from The Castle. But I just found just his whole tone, what he had to say, it was simple but very empowering, very effective and great all-round guy and for someone who's what 78 I think to to hear his reflections on life and incidentally I just recently saw um, his new film Rams Uh, so if you haven't seen that get out to a cinema now that we can go to and uh, and have a look at that because it's a fantastic performance as well Michael was um, was a fantastic interview so he's the one that I have chosen you've set it up beautifully let's listen to Michael Caton on the Shed Wireless Now, as we learned in Series 1 of The Shed Wireless, when AMSA Chairman Paul Sladden talked about his interesting life, he was elected the Mayor of Bonnie Doon, the place immortalised in the iconic Australian movie The Castle as the ultimate working-class holiday destination, largely because of the serenity. To be honest, it's a bit more complicated than that, because Bonnie Doon itself doesn't have a mayor, it's part of the Mansfield Shire. But what is true is that Paul is their councillor, and the home that featured in the castle is just across the water from his place. It is indeed a small world, because one of the stars of the castle, Michael Caton, is also a friend of the Men's Shed movement, having lent his unmistakably Australian voice to an Australian Men's Shed Association community service announcement. He is also, of course, the Australian actor who has had perhaps more roles in more unforgettable Australian television than anyone else, from Skippy to the Sullivans, Homicide and Division 4 to the Thornbirds, Pack to the Rafters to Dancing with the Stars, a country practice and all saints. And he's been good enough to join us here on the Shed Wireless. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to be here. When I go through that list like that and I say Skippy and Homicide Division 4, Country Practice, does like a memory of each of those flash in your head as I say it? Yes, especially Skippy. 
<laughs> yeah, tell me that. How did you come to be on Skipper? You must have been a pup then, were you? I was. I was just fresh to, uh, to Sydney from, from uh, Brisbane. And myself and Rona McLeod were supposed to be terrorised by this wild bull, which was the most docile animal you've ever seen. There was no way that bull was going to do anything. So it, it, it always sticks in my mind as a very funny day. Do you feel like you have been part of the thread of the Australian television and movie industry? Or... Does it just seem like a job like any other to you? I, I suppose I, I came in in the shadow of some great actors as well, you know. Um, I was I was the new kid on the block and you still had your Chips Rafferty's and Bud Tingwell's and Leonard Teal's. Mm. So I, I sort of feel that I, I was there, but pretty well after the beginning, I would suggest. You only did 12 episodes of The Sullivans, is that right? That's what I researched and found out. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it isn't, right? You did more than that. Oh, God, yes. I thought yes. so. I was like, because that's almost what you're most famous for. Are you more recognised for that or Daryl Kerrigan from The Castle? It depends how old you are. Right, I see. Although, you know, with The, uh, with the Sullivans, uh, it's been shown three times. So there are different generations who have actually seen it. So <laughs> it, it's uh, there was the initial one, which was which was amazing. Uh, I was totally unprepared for fame. I'd always thought that that won't it be wonderful to be famous. Then fame happens to you, and it's not quite so wonderful. Uh, elaborate on that. Why is fame not all it's cracked up to be? Look. Uh, at times, fame is wonderful. You know, sort of it opens doors, but at other times, it sort of inhibits you a bit. I, I was much more outgoing and and a bit of a yahoo prior to fame, and I, I found out I had to put my head down a bit and and uh, and cancel some of my previous behaviour. Because you're in a fishbowl. Yeah, yeah, especially in Melbourne. Yeah. In, in Melbourne, it. Forty-two percent of television sets were turned on to the Sullivans, yeah. and I still go uh, in Melbourne get much more recognition than I do here in Bondi. What is it about the Sullivans that you think connected with Australians? Why did four out of ten people turn that show on? Do you think? Well, I think it was that it was this sort of ideal family. Mm. And it, it, was, uh, it was very popular, if, if you'd believe this, among homeless kids. Mm. I remember hearing one of the producers say they get to a, a television set somehow and they're watching it. But it, it sort of everybody watched it. It, it. And it was a very cleverly designed show, sort of catered to all the different age groups. It was, the production values were very high, even though we were doing... Two hours of television a week. It was uh, the, the the values of it were very high, mm. and everyone really cared about it. Is that the same magic that made the castle work? The idea that it captured the family dynamic. Ah, oh, the castle was a phenomenon. There's lightning in a bottle, right? It, it was just a, It was such a beautiful script. Everyone in it 
was just perfect. And it's interesting to talk about the castle, actually, because mm. uh, the uh, we're talking about the men's shed mm. is that that came a year after uh, I'd been in a deep depression. And so I I got myself off to a psychiatrist and, and worked through it, behaved myself. And really when the... The, the castle happened, and it happened quite by accident. I was actually a last-minute choice. Uh, I was totally ready for it because I'd done all the, all the work on myself in that previous 12 months. Explain what you mean by that. What was the work that you did that made you ready for that role? It, it was simply getting my state of mind uh, back to where it should have been. I see. It's extraordinary, the castle. It only made a bit over $10 million, and yet so many people can quote chapter and verse. It has entered the vernacular in a way that very few other things ever have, and yet it was quite a small, discreet, low-budget and fast-shot movie, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, We shot it in, uh, I think it was 10 and a half days. (laughs) Mind-boggling. We only, we'd only do a couple of takes on each scene and we'd do two cameras so that we didn't have to then come around and do reverses, which I loved because the timing of the scene uh, basically became the timing of the actors rather than the timing of the editor. I wonder if that gives it some of its authentic feel as well. Yeah, well, it was, it was like a live performance. A question I've always wanted to ask somebody who has had a career like yours, is it true that you once a week go to a mailbox and pick up a royalty check? So do you still make money from the castle and the Sullivans? No. It doesn't work like that? No, very little. I got very little of it overseas. I suppose the best has been I'd like to give a big cheerio call to Channel 9 because they show it twice a year. So every, every couple of years I get a check. But we actually did the, the castle for equity minimum. I'm not whinging about that a bit because it took me from being dead in the water to having a really renewed career. So I, I am forever grateful uh, to the castle. So you're about to turn 77, as I understand it. Is that right? Yes, There are many men listening right now who would look at somebody like you and say, well, of course, I'm struggling in my 70s because my life was something. Now I'm retired. I'm trying to stay interested. I'm trying not to be socially isolated. But I imagine things are just magical for someone like Michael Caton. He's a big star and he's done amazing things with his life. How does depression grab somebody like you? Well, it was very interesting because I had some friends over the other day and they're a little younger than me, both sort of uh, immunity compromised a bit. I said, hey, you guys, have you been experiencing a sort of low-grade depression? And they both said yes. And, And I'm not saying it was any big thing, but it's just they're lurking because because of your age, because I'm an asthmatic because I've been a heavy smoker in the past, uh, I know that I'm, I'm under the gun a bit. So it, it just hovers there around you. And, I, and when you think about the men's shed, 
it it must be uh, for for people who take that support and camaraderie uh, from it must be feeling a bit isolated themselves. That those things that they do to get themselves in good order aren't available. I take it that's the case, Aaron. Is it? Oh, unquestionably so. And and might I say that the very existence of the shed wireless is an attempt to virtually plug that gap to give a sense of some of the things that happen in the shed within the physical restraints that we're all operating under. COVID has snatched away a lot of the things we took for granted, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It has. I mean, I'm I'm sort of, I've got to make a uh, a trip up to Bondi Junction after we finish talking and the mask will go on and the hand sanitizer will get clipped to the belt because uh, I've got to drop in my, because I'm over 75, I have to have a health uh, check every year for my licence and so I'll, I have to go up to the, the registry office and, and, and put in my, my medical and, and get a bit of business done and then sanitise my hands and get back in the car and away we go again you know, sort of back home. You know, we have we have been out, but uh, it's a, a very rare thing and it's usually somewhere where we can dine outdoors. And that's about it. As somebody who has been an actor and had to take on the personas of many different characters and as somebody who now has 77 years of life experience, including plenty of highs and plenty of lows... What's it all add up to as you reflect on life and try and make sense of the human condition? Have you got any answers? Look, uh, I, I have had a very interesting life. I wasn't always an actor. I started working for wool brokers when I left school and then I got a job with uh, Sydney Williams, the, the Comet Windmill people, and I was doing a little bit of acting at amateur theatre with some really good people. And then I was asked to do this, uh, to do a a professional job. Uh, I said, oh, okay, and I kept the job going for a while. And and then I'm going to sleep at work. I think, well, you can't keep this up forever. So I made that big uh, step of of becoming a, 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 a professional actor a varied career on stage and then the Sullivans happens and then you ride that wave and then you become a bit like the old couch on the, in the corner because you've been around for so long uh, and I'm, I'm not the handsome leading man type of person. Then all of a sudden, after 12, year, 12 months of unemployment and a bit of therapy, along comes the castle and it's sort of... It's just been an amazing ride. I feel sort of terribly privileged uh, to have the life I've had. And I've got no regrets. My life took me to places I never thought it would. It's nice to get to 77 and be able to say that. Yeah, and I've tried to do other things as well. I mean, I'm very concerned, you know, uh, politically uh, about the way that... Uh, we're just abusing our water. You know, people want to drill down through 
water tables in, in some of the best agricultural land in the world to get, get gas out where the science is not there to, to get it out safely. So, I mean, I, I try and do as much as I can in that area. And I mean, the Murray-Darling Basin is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. We're, we're draining it, using it like a, like a sump where we've really got to cherish it because it's the backbone of the, of the eastern states. That leads us beautifully to one more really big question that I wanted to ask you that I like to ask of many of our guests. If you had the power to change anything, and interpret this however you want, if you had the power to change anything but just one thing, what would it be? Oh, thinks, thinks. Um, look, I, I suppose it's the way we take this planet for granted and it's, it's a f- really finite, delicate thing. I mean, I always remember the astronauts uh, sort of coming back from the moon and seeing how thin the atmosphere of the, of, of the world really is and we seem determined to dig everything up in a couple of generations and and if if i could do anything i I would i would i would love to make people aware and be active about saving the long-term future of our planet you know because i've had a great run I was a year too old for Vietnam. I've come through a time where medical science and all that stuff has kept us alive a lot longer than we used to. But at the same time, what are we going to leave the the next generations? Unless we really change our thinking really quickly. You know, I'm okay. But but really, sort of, uh, a lot of people in industry and mining... It's just all about profit. It's not about anything else. It's like the, the Murray Darling and, and irrigators who who aren't farmers uh, buying and selling water, which will become the most precious resource on the planet. Much ahead of coal, I'm here to tell you. You know, water is what it's about. And so I, I would like people, I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell, I would like people east of the Great Divide to become much more aware of what's going on west of the Great Divide because that is what is really important. My family came from central Queensland and they depend totally on the artesian and sub-artesian basins and we're about to build a big mine That'll go straight down through the sub-artesian basin, which all the farmers in that area, that's where, how they water their cattle. That is an eloquent and considered answer. Thank you very much. One last thing before I let you go. If the castle 
actually only made ten million dollars. Bonnie Doon itself has probably made more in tourism than the actual <laughs> film itself made. And and Bonnie Doon's the poor end. When I first arrived in Melbourne, the eastern end of, of Lake Heelden was the posh end with all the houseboats and water skiing and <laughs> and Bonnie Doon wasn't that posh end. How good to see them get a bit of a boost, eh? Absolutely. That leads to my question. How many times have you been to Bonnie Doon other than for shooting the castle? Look, I've driven through Bonnie Doon because there's a wonderful drive. If you turn off the Hume Highway and uh, come in through sort of Yak and Dander and uh, you come through Bonnie Doon. And I've done that drive quite a few times because just north of uh, Healesville is Black Spur, which is a, a wonderful, uh, it's Mount Nash, straight as a die for, for hundreds of feet, and uh, with all ferns and God knows what growing at the base of them. And it, and it was destroyed in 1939 by a huge bushfire, which we actually uh, played that bushfire in the Sullivans, actually. Oh. It's, it's regrowth. But uh, once upon a time, I, I took a uh, turn off the track and I drove up this track and there sitting there was a stump and it had to be about 17 or 18 feet in diameter and that was left from that original 1939 forest. So that's time for you. That's time. Isn't it? Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. In all sincerity, your life uh, was in many ways uh, the the subtext of young man like me growing up in rural and regional Australia and to have the chance to... Where did you grow up, mate? In Patterson, so in the Hunter Valley. Oh, lucky you. It's easy for people to forget now with the internet and a million pay television channels, Netflix and all of that. But really, we were fed only a couple of tubes of, if you're in rural and regional Australia in the 70s and 80s, people like you were how we understand the world to be. And so to have all these years on the opportunity to talk to you has been an enormous thrill and you've been incredibly generous to the Men's Shed movement and to AMSA more specifically. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Look after yourself. Keep that mask on and please stay safe. We need another 15 or 20 years out of you, yeah? Well, I've got to, I've got to go back in September and finish the first season of Back to the Rafters, which we, we, we had to sort of wrap up about, uh, you know, three months ago. Yeah. So we've, we've got to go back and finish it. At least it will get me out of the house. <laughs> it will indeed. At least I, I, I could be... A, maybe socially distanced, being able to see some of my mates from the industry again. We can't wait to see you back on our screens. Stay safe in the interim and thank you so much for your generosity to the Shed Wireless. Well, keep an eye out on the 27th of August too because we've had a film that I did with uh, Sam Neill about 18 months ago. We had to cancel the opening of it, but they're going to open it on uh, August the 27th. That is if we don't have another lockdown. It's called Rams, about two brothers who breed rams. They live right next door to each other and they haven't spoken in 40 years. 
That sounds fed. And it's you and Sam Neill being the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Magic, magic. Thank you once again. Look after yourself. And I hope we have occasion to talk again soon. If not, you can guarantee uh, we'll be watching you on the screen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Aaron. Go well. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Next up to choose a favourite bit of the 20 episodes of 2020 of The Shed Wireless is our Executive Officer, David Helmers. Hi, David. Aaron, and this is a tough one, mate. Yeah, you had a hand in a lot of these coming to life. Uh, You had loose connections with various others. You have the corporate knowledge of who have been friends of the shedding movement over the year. And then you set Helen Claire and I on a mad chase to get those fish into the boat. (laughs) Of the ones that we did land, what would you like to hear again and why? And you know, Aaron, I don't like picking favourites at all. I hate it. They were all fantastic and you know the people we had contribute from you know the governor general through to you know michael kate and colin hay you know who, people who took time out of their lives to contribute was all valued i think for me i'd have to say it's leaning towards colin hay one yeah being but i've been a bit self-indulgent of it, i suppose because i've been a long-term fan of colin's but the one that stood out to me would have been, again, uh, with a bit of personal interest, was the last one with John Paul Young. And I say that you know, for a few reasons. One, as everyone's probably seen now, the video and um, from the whole idea of when we first, um, when you first made contact with JPY to do the jingle, and then I went out there one day and spun him this idea of... Um, you know, a little promotional video and run the script past him. And, you know, I remember saying to him, mate, you can shoot me down any time if you don't like it um, or don't want to play along with the whole thing. And the day we filmed it was a lot of fun and just, you know, it was a lot of work behind that. And he was such a great guy to work with. And hearing more about him, like I just remember the guys when I was a kid watching Countdown on my grandmother's lounge room floor on a Sunday afternoon, but hearing how he went from the, the sheet metal worker, through to the king of pop and beyond. And he's such a humble guy and, you know, he really got the essence of the shed movement really well and encapsulated that so well in that jingle and has given us all the earworm that we're never going to forget. Thank you very much, JBY, for that contribution. Yeah, and then he went on national television and gave the Shed Wireless a shout-out as well as the Shed movement more generally. Well, the other thing about this conversation with JPY is you get the bonus of his much less well-known but equally talented and fascinating young man. His son, Danny Marks Young, is also in this interview because we did it in their shed where the jingle joint is. And it's also a little bit of an interesting perspective, I think, that one or two of our shedders might appreciate about intergenerational relationships between men, father and son, and also what happens when your boy goes into your business, either with your endorsement or not. So there's a lot of really interesting elements to this one. So I'm really glad that you chose it. Thanks, David. No worries. Let's take a listen to JPY, John Paul Young, and his son, Danny Marks Young. Everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed 
that is a little bit of the new Men's Shed single, if you like. It's officially a jingle, but we're so proud of it, we're calling it a single. And it's going a little bit viral. And it is, as you can hear from that distinctive voice, uh, the brainchild of somebody who has been responsible for one or two of the soundtracks of our lives. And I'm lucky enough to be sitting in the jingle joint on the shores of Lake Macquarie in New South Wales with a couple of intergenerational stars who are behind that and a whole lot more. I'll introduce them both, although at least one of them requires no introduction, and the other you know the work of, even if you don't realise you know the work of him. The first is JPY. John Paul Young, 4 million records sold worldwide. As I say, the voice of some of the most iconic tunes in pop history, including Love Is In The Air. Thank you for having me at your place, mate. Oh, thanks very much, Aaron. It's great. It's great. I'm very, very chuffed to be a, a part of the whole thing. I think it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful organisation and I've been a part of uh, the Men's Shed for a few years now because one of my best mates actually runs the Toronto men shed here so i i kind of know a fair bit about it yes we'll get to this but it's like you slid a hand into a glove you were very much at home weren't you yes yeah. no it was great you know and i like your uh, little take on there the the uh, we can call it the single jingle <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and danny marks young is a talented professional singer and actor he's a technician he sung up front of the aztecs after uh, billy thorpe passed on uh, he wrote a uh, world cup song for the FIFA World Cup that you would have heard. He is a remarkable talent and one thing that I try and do as somebody who followed his dad into a similar industry is introduce their achievements before their relationships. <laughs> Danny Marks Young is also the son of John Paul Young. G'day Danny. G'day mate, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Full disclosure, I consider both of these blokes mates from very different parts of my life. We've worked together uh, in various capacities over various years so I apologise in advance for the familiarity let's talk about the single jingle <laughs> uh, you guys started the jingle joint you saw a global pandemic happening and thought I know what I'll do I'll open a business is that <laughs> right? <laughs> well the studio's been here for I'd say at least 15 years probably a bit more but it, you know very much uh, just like a playpen, really, you know, just trying to work our way through different things. But uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, it became quite obvious that live work was going to disappear. Mm. So I just thought we'd put some more energy into the studio and um, beefed up uh, the equipment level and um, just decided, well, we'll start mm. and we'll see how far we can get, you know. And, and I'm very grateful that the jingle joint... Uh, was a part of the, the men's shed thing because that's proving to be something um, that's really good for me, mm. not just good mm. for the men's shed. It's really good for me too because it shows a different side of me and uh, and it gets the name out there, you know. So it's it's self-promoting and it's a, it's a great thing. Yep. Danny, when we talk about jingles... Everybody listening could probably recite, you ought to be congratulated, come on Aussie, come on. There's any number of great jingles over the years. 
how do you even approach a jingle when someone comes at you and says, oh, we want something that captures the men's shed, for example? Mm, um, well, I I think my approach and I think Dad's approach as well is um, it's, it's very, I don't know if you'd say Tin Pan Alley, but old school, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not cool. Um, we don't go for, uh, we, I don't know, generally haven't really gone for no. the subliminal cool takes on yeah, yeah. on music and all that kind of stuff. It's very obvious, mm-hmm. and I think that that is quite important. For stickability, is yeah, that why? Yeah, because yeah. it needs to get in your brain, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, I think that could be a point of difference with what we do because mm. I, I have approached other people with things, with, with bits of music and... Um, it's just not cool. And I take that as being really cool. <laughs> yeah, you raise an interesting point there. And this is the reality for everybody who's in a creative industry these days is that it would be lovely. Well, it's not these days. It happened to Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel as well. You've got to balance your artistic endeavours and the stuff you'd love to be making with actually something that will put food on the table and pay a mortgage, right? Yeah, and, yeah. So, and, and that's kind of the creative tension in a jingle as well yeah yeah definitely um dad had a lot uh, a lot to do with uh this the men's shed jingle yeah how what was your approach there well because i i uh, i was a a tradesman for a minute i (laughs) i did my apprenticeship i was a a sheet metal worker and so i i'm pretty well familiar with the banter and and what goes on in on the on the factory floor and i think that's that's got a lot to do with it you know there was the first thing that struck me was well the men's shed gathers people from all walks of life. David Helmers told me that uh, there's a, a guy in one of the men's shed who's uh, an ex-lawyer. Mm. You know, so he's never had anything, uh, no. you know, to do with his hands and everything. But he just, he just loves it so much, and, and uh, he doesn't tell anybody that he used to be an ex-lawyer because he doesn't want people asking him about, you know, oh, I need some legal advice here and there. It's like ex-doctors, you know, it'd be the same thing. I've got this sore foot. But, um, you know, so he said, no, 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 I just want to come here and make sawdust. And I just love that. I, You know, come here and make sawdust, you know. That just says it all to me. Having a representation from woodworkers, metal workers, whatever you were, this is more about getting people together and uh, we all have so much more in common than, than we realise and, and once you're all together in one space, it all comes out. And that idea of every factory floor's got a got a stretch and got a bluey and got exactly. a right yeah. and and yet that is both your individuality but you melt into something bigger than that and that's what really comes through strongly in the jingle I reckon. Yeah, yeah, it's you're right. You know, a lot of the nicknames we had in my factory I could never put in a jingle, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's so true. You know, we you know we were talking about political correctness before and mm. and. My goodness, I mean, some of the things that, you know, that on the factory floor back in the, in the, uh, in the late 60s, you know, it, it's, and we, we still talk like that. I was lucky enough to have a, a mate of mine that I did my apprenticeship with come up and visit me about a month ago. And, uh, and it was just so funny. It was like we were, we were straight back into that factory again yeah. because we were all talking the same language all again, you know, and, and I, can, I can dig that that's the way the men shared likes it that's the way it is you know because you feel 
you feel relaxed. Mm. You don't feel under any political pressure or anything like that. You just get out there and you're just having a yarn with people and everybody knows that. So there's none of this walking on eggshells. That's that's the bit. That's the bit. And interestingly, the recording of the video was a test of that. There's a nice philosophy around that. Yeah. But actually, you rocked in, being a bona fide celebrity, into a place that was a men's shed yeah. to basically jam with the guys, right? Oh, no, it, it was great. You know, I, I remember there was one comment just, just as we'd finished uh, shooting the, what did you call it, the, 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 the single, single jingle? jingle? Yeah. yeah. Just as we finished shooting it, and it just took me straight back to the factory. Somebody yelled out, well, it's just as well you can sing, you can't act. <laughs> you know, and I just thought, there oh, it is. yeah, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says something about your personality, that that sort of stuff you just love, and it's it's water off a duck's back. Talk a little bit more about that day at Raymond Terrace, because presumably they got the music ahead of time and practised it a bit, did they, or how did it work? Yeah, well, we asked them... Uh, I think it was David asked them mm. to uh, to learn yesterday's hero, mm. you know, which they did, and and they're they're a really good good outfit. I just can't believe how many instruments there were. There was yeah. banjos and you know keyboards and guitars, uh, thousands of guitars. So it's just a a great thing, you know. And and the the things they make, you know, some of these toys and yeah. especially the wooden toys, they're just out of this world. Mm. So you know. It, yeah, it's just, just a great bunch of people. How do you know when you've got a really good bit of music? How do you know when you've got success? Sometimes the, the first idea is the best. Yeah. So you just rock with it. And I think at the end of the day, as a an artist, you are super critical of yourself. Mm-hmm. So the test is, if you can make yourself happy with what you've done, then... You're on a pretty good road because mm. nobody can be more critical than you are to mm. you. Know, to you. If, if, if you can just come up with a, a certain little something, a little spark, and it doesn't make you want to throw up, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you, you go ahead with it. You just keep, keep plowing ahead, you know, until somebody says, no, oh, no, don't do that. I had the experience of uh, talking to you guys about it conceptually and trying to give you an idea, and then I was sitting in a room in front of my computer when the first version dropped and it was that really cool moment of going oh yeah you took all of that abstract idea all of those loose concepts and now it's something that's actually in the world and I mean that to me is magical I guess that just comes from putting down the sheet metal and taking up singing all those years ago right well you know luckily I've always been the sort of bloke that sings you know that that was that's how I got into this business by default, mm. you know, by by being the one out of the the bunch of guys, you know, the four or five dudes that used to meet every weekend, and and I was the one who didn't want to be in the band, mm. even though they had their eyes on me as being the singer long before I realised it. So yeah, it's uh, it's just something that's in me, you know. This is a conversation I've had with both of you separately and be interesting to have it with you together. You clearly have an amazing talent, JPY, that has made you the global phenomenon that you have been. But you have said to me, correct me if I'm wrong, you have said to me in the past that there are other blokes that are just as talented as you, maybe more so, 
who never became megastars. Yep. Is that a fair comment, first of all? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's, uh, there's so many examples that I can think of, you know, of people who who are just incredibly talented, you know, and, and something silly will happen. Like, you know, somebody will say, well, you know, yeah, I know and I can sing and everything, but I don't like travelling. Yeah. You know, so immediately he's out of the picture. You know, he will never make it. Yeah. You know, and then there's the other ones who, who will do anything. Yeah. To, to get to that point, but for some reason, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't happen and uh, they go in the bin. You know, there's a, especially these days, everybody with a, a tape recorder in their, in their, in their bedroom can, can start recording. So if you can imagine what the great arbitrators of taste mm. yeah. have, to, have to listen to to decide what's going to happen where and when, that means there's an awful lot of them go in the bin. Mm. And uh, it's a shame. It's a, it is a shame, but uh, but that's the world, you know. There's winners and there's losers everywhere. Danny, unlike others, you grew up with the best and worst of the industry on display through your dad. You lived it. You were immersed in it. That would have sent a lot of blokes running in the other direction at a 1,000 miles an hour. Why did you want to pursue this industry? What did you see that made you want to do what can often be a thankless what could be is a vow of poverty if you're not careful right yeah yeah no um well it's i did run away from it i guess like until i was probably i even so much so where i didn't do study music at hsc for example and then for the musical hsc performance they were after a singer so i kind of just fell into it Finally, when I just had enough confidence to kind of give it a crack in year 12 and I was better than okay at it mm. and that was enough for me to, yeah. to kind of go with it. As far as um, it being a living was concerned, I wasn't, you know, I was just still a kid, still um, mm. um, just in love with music, I guess. I think a lot of things have changed if you talk about generationally as far as the machine or the way to get into the industry, even though dad's path wasn't, was, you know, by chance a lot. And oh, by, yeah, um, a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah. a lot of luck. Um, you know, there was a lot of luck with me in the first instance, but then, you know, the, the world changed. Can you compare and contrast? I realise you two have very different skill sets and we're on very different journeys, but what did change in that generation? Money, you know, as far as people weren't really buying products. Mm. And especially when I was probably around my, you know, the formative kind of time where I went down and started working with Harry Vander in the studio and stuff like that, the real crunch time of, you know, LimeWire and mm. the illegal downloads were huge. And record companies were petrified mm. they they didn't know what to do and i think it, it's it's starting to slowly crawl its way back mm. but in saying that that's a total new thing to me as well that i don't really understand jpy in my mind i imagine it being like the manufacturing industry right once upon a time you had fewer 
shirts that you wore, right? Yep. But they were tailored and bespoke, right? Mm. And that was the pop star of your era. There were, in many ways, fewer of them, mm-hmm. but you went into Stella, right? Whereas now we have a lot more shirts that may be of a comparable quality, but there's a lot more of them. And so the actual individual value has dropped through mass production. There's just so much out there. Yeah. There is so much out there and it's fragmented. In our day, you really only had one major radio station in in the city of Sydney, you know, and it was probably 2SM who were like the big station. Mm. So as long as you got away, then you were away. You know, there was none of this uh, fragmentation. Uh, Now look look at the TV, it's the same. We used to have three channels. Mm. Now we've got 33, and that's not even counting what comes in from overseas you know it's just uh it's such a fragmented business these days and it's it's hard to hard to get a foothold you know Mm. it really is hard what does it do to your personal dynamic the two of you being father and son in the same industry well he does his thing i do my thing you know on the odd big gig when the money's there I'd get Danny in to do backing vocals and you know on the stage and it's you know it's uh, help as much as you can but I think a big part of this business is there's not much even though I've been successful in the business there's not much I can do to help him it really is your own your own journey there's that word again and, yeah. and that's that's it you know it's it's all there it's like the tools are laid out before you yeah. and uh You've got, to, you've got to learn how to use them. Danny, from your perspective, how does the, the intergenerational vibe work? Because, I mean, it's both a blessing and a curse to be JPY's son, right? Yeah, to a degree, like, but not so much now, you know. I mean... It was I, tough when you were a kid. Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. I bet. Yeah. Um, it was funny because, you, know, <laughs> um, you know, you used to get hassled out a lot in high school by kids wearing ACDC t-shirts you know which is <laughs> yeah. the old man's record company you know the, the same yeah, yeah. the same bunch of dudes they used, they used to play support for me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, as you'd expect um, there was also fatherly advice um, and I didn't make mistakes that I probably could have can you give me an example of what that, oh, that looks like, like? money wise yeah you're in it, you know, it's just, you know, no, stay away from that. So I think the most important thing I said to you was don't sign anything. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because one thing about your generation, JPY, is there's lots of stories of it going one way or another, right? Somebody yeah, yeah. who signed a good deal and they're still getting checks today yeah. and somebody who signed a bad deal and they're destitute. Oh, well, I was I was lucky. I, I did sign anything because it was the first thing that was put in front of me was a, a contract for Albert's. Uh, but by the same token, I was also offered I was offered a contract or five hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, I mean, five hundred dollars was a sizable sum. That was not nothing. Nineteen seventy one. You know, but um, you know, I just I, I took took the chance and I, I signed on the, on the dotted line. And to be quite honest, the deal wasn't fantastic. But as it turned out, Alberts just became one of the biggest record companies on the planet, you know, as, as far as a, a small record company goes. And they've looked after me, you know. It, it really was like a family business. And, and I was brought in and I became part of the family. And, and as things moved along, 
They changed, without me having to ask, they changed some terms of my contract. We'll make this better for you and we'll make that better for you. I can never quantify working with George Young and Harry Panda. You know, that's just absolute dream time stuff you know, for, for, that, for that to have happened. You want to talk about good fortune. There's the real good fortune, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that they could have screwed you over royally if they were a different type of person. Exactly, you know, oh. and... And the reason why they were different was because they got screwed over royally and they made sure that it wasn't going to happen to them or anybody else mm. that they were working with, you know, and they was and they were so testy when it came to talking about management, even my management, you know, they go, oh, you know, just watch it there, watch it, you know, like, yeah, that, that, they were, they were really good mentors. Back to your point about going, oh, you don't sort of work super closely on a lot of projects or haven't, but when he was emerging as a singer, yeah. would you literally go, oh, you should introduce this into your performance or that into your performance? Like, did you have that sort of relationship? Um, no, I, I do remember we we were part of a pro-am uh, musical, Leader of the Pack. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what year that was. Um, it was a long time ago. I think you, I think you were only about yeah, yeah eighteen, nineteen, something like that. And I remember we were driving uh, home from Castle Hill, and I put I put on the on the radio. I put on um, "Whole Lot of Love" by Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. just to show show Danny what not just song construction was about, but what deconstruction was all about. Yeah. Because that is a it's such an amazing piece of music, you know, where everything happens and then all of a sudden it just falls apart, you know, and it goes, it goes, you know, almost into the rubbish bin, you know, and but then it comes back and it, and it takes you with it, you know, it, it's a, it's a great piece of, great piece of music, and I, I think uh, I, I also said to Danny, you've got to find that part of your voice when you're screaming at your sister. You know, like that that part of your yeah. voice, and and use that. You know, because uh, you know Danny's got one of the one of the one of the great rock and roll voices. You know, he he really can get up there and 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 let it fly. And there's not many singers can do it. No, and you, you have know? to give yourself permission to do that, right? And yeah, you've got to find it. Yeah. You've got to find that voice. And I found it because back in the day when when I was with Elm Tree, mm. everybody else had amps. I had a tiny little, <laughs> you know, a, a little PA, mm. and and I'm standing in front of this drum kit that was, you know, almost making me deaf. And uh, so I had to find that voice to, to get above it. But now, now that it's there, I don't like it mm-hmm. in my face, you know. So I like it down a little bit now so, so that I can still have to push to achieve what I used to achieve back in the, in the 70s, in the late 60s. Even though the uh, the Rolls Royce treatment is there for me if I want it, I kind of back off from it, and I I, I kind of want to reproduce how unfortunate I was back in the sixties. No, that makes a lot of sense, and that's sort of how you trained yourself to get yeah. into your performance mode, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, Danny, you and I know each other from your technical expertise. That's how <laughs> we worked, mm-hmm. and. I'm interested how being a performer informs your technical side of things because it must, right? The things that you learn from the other side of the microphone, if I can put it that way, must inform your technical and production and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think when performing, I, they are 
two separate things. Mm. I do like I yeah. I don't think about it when I'm on stage because mm. you really don't want any kind of no you know, no no. How's the weather today? Well, well, also it's going to it's uh, going to interrupt what JPY was just talking about that yeah. getting in the yeah. performance space. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and like what he was saying about mm. fighting for your voice. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I fell into the kind of recording thing. Uh, it could have been when I was fourteen or fifteen, just stuffing around with computers and 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 whatnot. And it was just a means to to be involved with other musicians as well, yeah. And to because I don't, you know, play instruments as such or anything like that. I do play around with programming music and stuff like that. But um, when I'm working recording wise, it, I can be pretty quick as far as I like to be by myself. I like to have my own little space. And um, yeah, I, I do feel as if they're two pretty separate things. That said, it kind of sets you up for the modern reality right because the idea of only having one skill set is dead in 2020 in terms of any sort of creative endeavor yeah absolutely i just wonder what the future looks like for both of you neither of us really knows what the future looks like in 2020 and COVID. I think we're all looking forward to uh, 2021 starting, mm. but JP, why, what gets you out of bed each morning now? And <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's her name again? No, no, uh, no. no what's, it's my, <laughs> my age. <laughs> the older I get, the earlier I'm getting up, you know, I can't, right? I can't believe it. You know, so yeah, and prostate problems, you know, that, that gets you up early Dude, in the morning. I, I tell I? you, the shed, the shed wireless, I've spent more time talking about what's up, guys, butts than I ever thought I would in this life. So I'm hearing you, brother. Yeah. But, but like motivationally and whatever else, I mean, you live in a beautiful part of the world. You could just sit yeah. on the deck all day. What makes yep. you still want to rip in? Oh, you know, you, you, you can just get get bored you know for want of a better word you know you just sort of go oh just got to do this again do that again whatever I think we're really lucky uh, in in this time because when you think back to your parents or your grandparents and when they retired they really did just sit around and do nothing and they're also the kind of people that that wouldn't open up Mm. to you about those things and they kind of just took it on their shoulders that this is my lot now, and I've, I've, I've had my working life. Now it's time to sit around and do nothing. Mm. And there was only the odd person who would uh, retire and then get involved in something else and, and, you know, focus on something else. Whereas I think that's really on top these days. You yeah, know, I, I think right. most people uh, who reach retirement age realise that if they were just going to sit around and make a cup of tea and watch telly for the rest of their lives, then it's not going to be good for them. And they know that. And so they, they get out and they try something different. You know, I'm kind of the same. You know, we, I haven't worked since February. Mm. But I've been in that kitchen a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and, and just just making making different things every day and, 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 and at the same time thinking... I'm sick of making different things. I want to stick to the old the old recipes and just improve them. And doing this, you know, like I said, you know, when the COVID thing happened, it, I think you've got to be adaptable. Yeah. You've just got to be able to... And, and don't be scared of having a go at whatever, whatever it is. You've put your finger right on a theme that comes through. 
nearly every conversation we have on the shed wireless, yeah. whether we're coming at it from a mental health point of view, whether yeah. we're talking to a celebrity, whether we're just shooting the breeze about everyday life, is that one of the keys to happiness, and I treat the word happiness with a bit of suspicion, but one of the <laughs> one of the keys to happiness is having a purpose, finding a purpose and having a yeah. purpose. And that's really what you've just described, right? Exactly. You know, and, and it, this happened to me when I first moved up here 30-odd uh, years ago and, and a friend of mine in, in radio got in touch with me and, and, and wanted me to, to help him do a radio program up in Townsville. Mm. And he turned out to be, he was going to be the new program director for New FM. Mm. And, uh, and I finished up in there working. And, I, and it's all about saying yes. Mm. Don't say no. Mm. If you're hanging around and not doing much and something, somebody pops it, something in front of you and says, I want you to write a book, even though you've never written a book before in your life, don't say no. Have a go. Just do it, you know. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out because everybody knows you're coming from a, a place of, uh, of no experience when it comes to doing that. So whatever it is, if, if you get the chance to do something, even though it might be totally alien to you, have a crack at it and see how you go at it. And to your point, it is a blessing that we live in an age when that is encouraged because yes. I think a lot of the reason why people went home and watched telly and watched their P's and Q's yep. is that society frowned on being a little too flourishing in your later years, right? Yeah, I think I think so. But you know, there was a certain fatalistic sort of attitude yeah. as well, you know, which I think is has gone. We've got the boomers to thank for that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 60s, yeah. <laughs> and, and Danny, intergenerationally, what about your kid? Is he artistically inclined? Yeah, well, he. I've been putting off for a long time. He's wanted to start his own YouTube channel. <laughs> so um, so that's what he's into, which so like it's, it's pretty funny because that kind of ticks the box because he's doing something that I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. obviously... You know, he must be on the right track generation-wise. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I have got no idea what he does. He's seven, yeah. and he's so fixated with outer space. It's, you know, and the planets and everything. Yeah. You know, and I, I heard the other day somebody saying, you know, what's the smallest planet? And I think it was Mercury. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought, I'll test him. And I, I said, I said, Al, what's the smallest planet? He said, Mercury. He said, it used to be Pluto. <laughs> I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they say this is like a sign. If you've got a kid that does a deep dive on dinosaurs or outer space or yeah. whatever the thing is that's there, that it's a sign that they'll be successful later in life. That, that, to, to really deep dive on something. Where I'm going with this, though, is would you encourage or discourage him to become the third generation to head into this industry? He is also the the uh, the grandson of the late great Les Murray. Indeed. So I mean, him. Even though it's, I don't understand what he's saying. He'll <laughs> he'll happily get up there for ten minutes and just and just talk. So I mean, I would love for him to learn more about production side and to do his own videos and to to you know and even at school nowadays they they um introduce coding you mm. know and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah. if, as long as he can get behind the scenes with all that kind of stuff, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I would definitely encourage him to do that. Whereas, I don't know, I with singing and 
it seems a, like a bit more of a vocation, which I'm sure what you would have told me. But but now you can like you know take the weekend off and not be you not be a singer. Take the weekend off and do your own single and put it on Spotify and release it. Yeah, say, I've done that. Yeah. I've done that now. So long as you don't want to make a mint out of it, that's the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's well, the only yeah. caveat in all of that. What does he call you, JPY? Pa, right? So if he goes, Pa. You know, I I want to have hit singles as well one day. What would you say to him? I'd be very very careful. <laughs> 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 well, I'll, look, I can only relate back to Danny's experience. I he he kept any ambition he had to be a singer from me. Interesting. Didn't mention, mm. you know, and it was uh, it wasn't until seventeen you know, or eighteen, yeah, yeah, seventeen or eighteen, and, mm. I, and even then I was petrified. I just mm. thought, oh no, 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 don't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because because I know how lucky I was. Mm. I was just so lucky, you know, that things just fell in my lap. We were like dinosaurs back in the sixties because there wasn't many of us. Yeah, yeah, you know, there, there was there was the odd band at spring, you know, like. We started from absolute zero when we started our band. And after about three months, we finally got somebody into the band that knew what they were doing, you know, to teach the rest of us basic chords and things like that. But within two years, we were the biggest band in Liverpool, you know, and we were actually working in Sydney and, and, you know, doing... I never, ever imagined that we'd get that far. But, you know, we did. Be- once again, because there wasn't too much around, you know, like the the only uh, gigs that we played were school halls and things, you mm. know, and and the kids were right into it, you know, really, really right into it. Whereas today, every second person can play the guitar and can do this and can do that and da da da, and it's it's wonderful. But you know, we came from a different place, and I was just I was I was very cautious, you know. And Danny, when I was going, oh, I wish you had said that, you know. So, but. I do remember also trying to funnel him into the backstage thing, funnel him into production, the adjunct of the business. And uh, I learned years ago when I was I was going to muck around with a bit of aquaculture. And uh, it only took about a month and I realised people who are selling the aquaculture gear are making more money than the people who are doing the aquaculture. <laughs> and that, honestly, yeah. that's where it's at, you yeah. know. So you've got to know, you've got to know the business that you're in, you know. I was lucky. I didn't have to know anything. But these days, I think the more background you know about what you're going to get into and realise, you know, the whole structure of things, then you know you're a lot you're a lot better off. Is there anything that you would not write a jingle for? <laughs> um, I, I'd write a dozen a day up here in my head. You know, like the, the, you know, the amount of stuff that I've written that you could never ever put down. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I've always been the kind of person I have never wanted segregated music. Mm. You know, I I. When we grew up, the same radio station would play Yummy, 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 I've Got Love in My Tummy, and then they'd follow it with a whole lot of love from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And nobody thought it was strange. Yeah. Whereas you couldn't do that today. You know, you, if you like jazz, you, you, you have to listen to jazz. Classical's over there, hip-hop's here, uh, soul music's there, there's rock and roll, there's pop. They shall never meet. Well, that ain't what's going on in my head. No. I like 
little bits of this and little bits of that and I think that's that's where the world is that's where the world should be I don't like the piecemeal attitude of, uh, of music these days but yeah that's the world you're in I feel the same way about everything in life whether it be food or yeah. movies or whatever exactly, for yeah. goodness sake being a snob about things yeah, yeah. just taste off every plate you yeah know? Exactly. <laughs> taste off every plate thank you both for having me in the jingle joint today thank you for your fantastic contribution to the men's shed movement and i in all sincerity, I know I'm biased because I'm close to it, but in all sincerity, I think the jingle is genius. And the test was, I took it into my family and played it once and went, oh, look, have a, have a listen to this. And then 45 minutes later, the five-year-old was doing the dip, dip, dip. <laughs> And I'm like, that is the highest praise. That is a Michelin hat for a jingle. <laughs> Somebody's still singing it 45 minutes later. Thanks, gentlemen. Great to hang with you. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. I think perhaps the toughest job in this Christmas special of the Shed Wireless is to find a favourite Rip Woodchip. He's long been a legend in his own lunchtime, long been immortal in his own mind, but it has only been through the Shed Wireless that Rip Woodchip has become a household name and shared his down-home genuine bush wisdom with us and also a bit of BS as well. Rob McLaughlin, our in-house doc in the Ask the Doc segment, has been given the task of finding a favourite to replay on this Christmas special. Rob, how did you go? Well, Aaron, I picked one which kind of stumbled onto my territory a little bit. Rip got uh, stuck into the issue of lifestyle and weight and activity, uh, which is such an important thing. But he does it in a much better way, in a funnier way, in a great communication way than uh, dry old medicos like me can do. And uh, so I've chosen the one about uh, exercise. And uh, uh, as um, Rip said, uh, his uh, advice for uh, exercise program is just bloody do something, get up and move. Uh, and I think that's very good advice. You now, we spend a lot of time talking to people about, you know, can you do this? Could you do this? Wear a pedometer, you know, walk with your dog, all the rest of it. But yeah, having someone put it in a humorous way really, I think, gets the message through. That's why I love radio. I love podcasts. I, I just I listen to a voice 
on a radio in a different way than I listen to a, a talking head on a television set. And Rip's wonderful voice <laughs> comes straight down the microphone and it's got to make you laugh and got to make you think. I particularly like his exercise program with his wife, wherein uh, he says she gets her stretches by uh, picking up his strategically placed undies around the bedroom uh, and he gets to wash her car on the weekend. And there's some reference to morning Zumba classes, which we won't go into. But I just thought the whole thing was terrific and it's a treat. So if you haven't heard it, go back and play it again. You know what? We agree on this much. When Rip's talking about his underpants, I'm glad that it's audio only as well. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Rob. Great suggestion. Let's listen to Rip. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shadows, Rip Woodchip here. How y'all going today? I'm just sitting here playing with my pedometer. No, that's not some euphemism, you dirty-minded buggers. No, it's one of those thingies that measures your steps, you know? The doc gave it to me the other day to help me keep track of how much exercise I'm doing. They reckon 10,000 steps a day is the daily recommendation. I reckon if I had this thing when I was still working on the farm, I would have blown it off the bloody Richter scale. You hear all these people banging on at the moment about whacking on the kilos during isolation and blaming it all on the fact that they couldn't get to the gym. Bit of a crock, I reckon. I mean, going to the gym and all that stuff is all well and good, but what all these youngins don't understand is it's not the be-all and end-all. We had this fitness regime when I was a kid, and I still use it to this day. It's called Get Up and Bloody Move. The doc had a different name for it. NEAT. Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis. Therm- I don't know. Some bloody thing. It's basically one of them fancy terms that means all the energy we burn up when we're not either sleeping, eating, or playing sport. Basically, just living. But not sitting on the couch type living. Getting out there and actually doing stuff, you know? I know we all go through these little periods where we get a little slack, and in one of those stages there, the only exercise I was doing was walking to the fridge and getting another beer. And the most strenuous thing I was doing during the day was dropping off the kids at the pool of a morning. But with some kindly encouragement from the missus, I gave myself a bit of a reboot and just got active again. It ain't rocket surgery. You don't necessarily need to be lifting the weight of a small vehicle over your head or sweating like you're pushing out a kidney stone to make a difference. You've just got to move. As the boy who was piddling the ocean said, every little bit helps. And even just your everyday daily activity can add up to a decent workout. I don't need to spend a million bucks on some newfangled gadget off the home shopping network when I have a shovel or a mop and two legs and a heartbeat. And I'm also making use of myself while I'm at it. I think they call that work. You just got to look at things with a bit of a different perspective and give it a little more thought. For example, I've got this neighbour and he must go to the gym five times a week. And then he pays someone else to mow his lawn. Where's the bloody sense in that? The missus and I are all over it. We're always helping each other out to keep active. You could call her my little gym buddy. She does her stretches every morning when she's picking up my dirty laundry that I strategically place around the bedroom floor. And she very thoughtfully has me wash her car on a weekly basis. And we even work out together sometimes. The Zumba class in the bedroom last night was particularly intense. Quick but intense. But you guys get what I mean. You don't need a diploma in exerciseology to know that what's good for you. It's just putting it into practice. Like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. 
park it a little further away from the shops. They even reckon just fidgeting counts. Or you might even mow your lawn, for Pete's sake. It all counts. Basically, if you're not sleeping, just keep moving. Well, Shedders, I've only got 9,999 more steps to reach my daily goal, so I'd better get to it. Good to talk to you, fellas. All right, catch you next week. Bye. Right throughout 2020, I've loved catching up with Stuart Torrance. And I think the thing that I like the most is when we were in COVID lockdown and socially isolating, it just felt like a normal bloke's conversation, the kind of chat you would have in the shed or at the pub or at the cricket ground or whatever, except it kind of had a point. We deliberately put a few hard topics on the table and tried to wrestle them to the ground. I've been charged with picking a favourite, and as I say, I enjoyed every one of the chats with Stu, but I'm going to go with the theme of grumpy. Nobody expects you to get up every day and be cheery and smiley, and that just makes you an idiot. But equally, if you find that you wake up every day and you're the opposite of that, that's really ordinary, not only for your life, but for everyone else around you. So here's my favourite chat with Stu when we took on that topic. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With the Shed Wireless. Here's a little thought experiment for you. If I asked you to draw a picture of someone who is grumpy, I'm prepared to bet the mortgage money that most of you would draw a picture of an older man, scowling, about to tell those damn kids to get off his lawn. Why is it that so many older blokes get grumpy? And does any good actually come from it? Stuart Torrance is AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer. Hello, sir. How are you going, Aaron? I'm good. Grumpy. Not just one of the seven dwarves, a whole way of life if you choose it. <laughs> I, I, I was interested in your um, in your intro in regards to, you know, why isn't it grumpy old ladies? You don't you don't actually hear of, of women being called grumpy old anything. No, and yet a few of them invariably are. Mm. But there is a reason perhaps why certain section of older blokes have a reputation for being grumpy. That's because a certain section of us are. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. And some of them got sheds. Yeah, yes, they do. Who's the grumpiest bloke in your shed? I bet you can all think of who it is as well. Right? <laughs> There'd be two or three names at the top of the list anyway. Gold, silver and bronze. <laughs> well, well let, let's start with a definition. What do you think grumpy is? I, I think it's a mood. I, I, I think it's all about mood and, uh, and it usually has something to do with something else. The, there's something underlying that, that um, just puts us in that frame of mind. A grumpy mood isn't a problem. A grumpy habit is. Oh, if you're prolonged it, then there's something really wrong. You know, there's something that needs to be looked at, I think. You've got some um, some unresolved issues, let, let me put it that way, I, I think, if, if you're constantly grumpy all the time. Elaborate on that idea. What do you mean by that? Is it, well, it's not good for your health. Like, on, on the whole, we, we swing everywhere from absolute 
crying in our in our pillows to to happy as the the day is long um and grumpiness is is in amongst that mix but at the end of the day if you're grumpy constantly then there's something that you you haven't addressed like um the the, the you know, a loss of a loss of uh, identity, mm. uh, and that's uh, quite often something that men fight with come retirement. They once were the provider, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but they forget they've built up this nest egg uh, of uh, wealth, of uh, uh, provision, of house, home, uh, and contents, uh, so as they can retire. You know, they should be taking pride in what they've done. Mm. We, we sometimes challenge ourselves. A politician mate of mine who retired <laughs> refers to it self-deprecatingly as relevance deprivation disorder. You know, once upon a time you felt you are important and mattered, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I've got no relevance, which of course you do have relevance. That's what you just said. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's almost like it's snatched away. And, and quite often men, unfortunately, don't plan for retirement. We plan financially for retirement. We... You, you know, we sort of say, well, I'm going to play golf from now on or I'm going to go fishing from now on. But, you know, a whole year's worth of fishing three days a week, I, I don't think it could become boring because I'm a fisherman. But I think after a while it would be like, well, what's my purpose? What, what's all this about? Uh, and I could see how that could get you into a, a grumpy frame of mind where you, you're telling kids to get off your lawn, how you, you want hand out lollies at Halloween and... All them sort of things. My word's not yours, but the point you were making earlier is that very often grumpiness masks something else that's going on. Is it a little bit like, Mm. and I hesitate to use this example to call us all dogs, but you know at the dog shelter, if some dog has been mistreated, if they're sad, if they're scared, that often manifests as barking and growling and biting and, in fact, grumpiness and anger can be closely related to sadness, can't they? Well, uh, I would suggest that grumpiness can come from anger, mm. like uh, some some unresolved issue, some argument that you know you didn't win, some argument that you just can't go there. I, I.e., you know, if you're having a, a dispute with your your partner, you and you know that you've sort of come to a line that if you go over it, this is over, <laughs> but you haven't actually resolved what you were arguing about, so you know you sort of sulk. I suppose to a to a degree, and that comes across as, uh, as as grumpiness, and it's a bit of a protection mechanism as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see that. I I, um, I, I could see that uh, the the festering is a, a way of expressing your displeasure, uh, and your uh, I suppose your um, subliminal thought is, I hope someone sees this and comes across. And then I can resolve it, and then I can get it off my shoulder. And I think that's one of the good things about the shed. You can talk about what's on your mind and get off your chest uh, anything into the shed because really at the end of the day, your mates will just listen and then go about their business. But you vent it, if, if you know what I mean. Hopefully gets people out of their grumpiness. I think it's one of the things that the sheds do really well when they do it well, and that is because you're seeing a bloke once or twice a week over time, you mm. almost get a sense of what his baseline personality is, right? So then if you're 
seen some major variations from that baseline, then that can get your spidey senses tingling, that can get an orange light flashing, and increasingly sheds have the capacity and the desire to step in and intervene. Yeah. Well, I've, I've actually, uh, he, here's a, sh- a shared story that I've uh, come across and it was about a lady that got quite jealous about her husband enjoying himself so much down the shed that she actually said, you can't go to the shed anymore. And about two months later, she drove up uh, in the car with him in the passenger seat and said, get out. <laughs> Sent him back to the shed because he'd just become a grumpy old man. She then saw the purpose of the shed and then they'd been on top of each other for the, the past couple of months. So um, that's, a, that's a great ungrumpy story. <laughs> All right. You are somebody who, like everyone else, has had your share of successes and your share of challenges. You are not at all a grumpy person, certainly not in my experience of you. So how do you avoid being grumpy? Just don't be around me when I'm grumpy, let me tell you. When things, you know, don't go your way and um, – Things uh, that you expect to happen don't happen. It can be very easy to talk yourself down into a hole, and that expresses itself in in grumpiness. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. I I don't. I don't. I don't. And um, you became well. I become uh, exceptionally negative. You probably don't see that too often these days because I I recognise my spiral into a, a, a negative space. And I consciously seek to get something to lift me out of it, whether it be watching a video, watching a comedy, watching something uplifting and inspiring like on YouTube. All them sort of things encourage me and and I suppose give me a a, a sense of where I fit in, in the picture of things. You know, if you're feeling hard done by, just start looking at pictures of uh, quadriplegics and paraplegics and things like that. And and the smile that's on their face, regardless of their circumstances, certainly starts to take you out from your, your grumpiness and takes you over to uh, amazement and just a, a, an admiration for these people that have gone above and beyond what their, their circumstances. And then you go, well, Strips, my life's not that bad at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that sort of benchmarking is a real skill. How have you trained yourself, though? I don't think anybody deliberately decides to be grumpy, and very often they don't even recognise it in themselves when they're being it. So how did you train yourself to see the grump and ungrump yourself? It takes me back to the the time I um, tried to stop smoking and I took the uh, the, the, the pharmaceuticals um, that, that put me in a, a really dark place. But it was my wife that saw it and it was my wife that said, I better get onto this. And as I've said before, that was an extremely fortunate uh, set of circumstances that happened because, you know, within a couple of days I was uh, taking me and the family out. So she noticed it uh, and took me off to professionals that uh, could assist, have a have a talk, have a look at what was causing the problem, took me off the thing, gave me something else that put me into a better frame of mind. And then once that was resolved, we actually sat down and had a serious conversation about us being in a negative space because we we both do it to a to an extent. We both went through the loss of our house, the loss of our business, and all them sort of things. So we both know what it's it's like to be um, 
I suppose, blew from time to time. We recognised it in one another. We pointed out, my wife and I have a, a thing that I'm her person and her person would help her be the best person that she could be. So whenever I see something that's maybe uh, a little negative in my wife's life or something that she's fighting against, I'll say, listen, darling, I'm your person. Uh, and that simply says to her, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. She does the same for me, probably more often for me than it is for her. But um, she pulls me back into line and I, I then notice because she's pointed it out and then I do something about it. Well, lots of us are lucky to be in a similar situation to that. Some not so much, but that's where the shed can come in. Your mates might not be as pretty as Stuart's wife, but they can still do a job <laughs> for you. So. Well, I'll guarantee that. <laughs> Great advice as always. And as I say, I'm sure I will see the grumpy you at some point, but it seems most out of character most of the time. So we've got your wife to thank for that, I assume. Thanks very much, Stuart. Lawrence Amser, Men's Health Project Officer. Great to chat as always. Excellent. Thanks, Aaron. You take care, mate. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Now, we all know that Rip Woodchip is a man who would rather speak than listen, but nevertheless, we have also imposed on him to come up with his favourite segment of 2020 on The Shed Wireless. He is the ultimate shedder, and so we've asked him to pick the ultimate shed segment. In each episode of Series 2, we did a shed in the spotlight. We met the people, we found out about the projects, and we learned a little bit about the history of a variety of sheds in the final 10 episodes of 2020. So I have Rip, and he's going to tell you which one we're listening to. G'day, Rip. What was your favourite? Mate, you know how much I love the shed wireless. And I whack on me Bluetooth earmuffs as I'm mowing the lawn and listen to it as I go round and round cutting the grass. I must have listened to every episode twice, I reckon. But I'll tell you what, if I had to pick the best shed in the spotlight, it'd have to be probably first episode of Series 2, the Raymond Terrace Shed. Man, those boys impressed me. I especially love their shed band idea. And they're going to go around the place and try and support some of those drought-affected communities by entertaining them a little bit. I even offered my services, Aaron. I went down there and I did an audition for them. Now, I don't like to pat myself on the back or toot my own horn, but, mate, I pumped out a beautiful rendition of Moon River for the boys. But I haven't heard back from them yet, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But I did hear that JPY's been hanging around the place, so if I am going to get bumped by someone, it might as be with someone of his calibre, I suppose. I think that could be the ultimate showdown of 2021. It will be Australia's Got Talent, Rip Woodchip versus JPY, the ultimate showdown. All right, let's take a listen to the shed in the spotlight that was Raymond Terrace. Time for our shed in the spotlight. First up, show and tell. Let's showcase a project or product from our shed. Our show and tell segment is where we hear about a passion project or a product that the sheds are working on and getting stuck right into. Now, very often that will probably be something like a beehive or a possum box or a bowls box, but it's a little bit different at the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed. 
and Bob Bull is here to tell us all about it. G'day, Bob. Good morning, Aaron. Really nice to have you with us. What is the passion project of the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed right now? Well, a little different, as you say. We, we certainly have lots of projects uh, working through the shed uh, through the year, but this is a little bit different to uh, what we, we would normally do, and it involves uh, uh, taking some of our members on a tour, uh, a regional tour around New South Wales. And uh, it's a, a concept that uh, we thought of some way back in early in, in 2020, uh, and someone made a, a bit of a throwaway comment with our music group that we have in our, our shed as to, well, why don't we go on tour sometime? And uh, we sort of dismissed that. But then thinking about it later, uh, I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. What, what can we do there? Uh, we've, got, we've got a good mu- music group, a large music group, and, uh, and we could easily set them up for a tour uh, arrangement. You often hear of tours from sheds where blokes uh, pile into a bus and go and visit another shed or some interesting local landmark or whatever, but you're actually going to come bearing the gift of music. Tell us a little bit about your your group. Yeah, so, uh, well, the music group in the shed's been operating for about five years now, and it's grown from uh, three or four up to about 20, 22, 23 members now in our music group, so it's a fairly large group, and uh, very varying experiences in the in the music knowledge, but some guys have been in the industry for a long time, uh, very experienced, and yet we have others that are, are learners, um, which I class myself in that, probably an experienced learner, you might say, <laughs> in some ways. We gather each week at our shed here and uh, do several hours of practice, and uh, for the music groups themselves, it's not just the shed that we do, do uh, some community events, uh, around the place, such as Australia Day and uh, even Bunnings, when they have some events down there, we, we get invited down there to play as well. But this is a little bit different. We we look back in January uh, when Australia was on fire, you might say, and then of course we run into um, floods and and in the middle of a most severe drought. And I thought, well, look, these country guys, these regional towns are really suffering out there. What can we do to try and uh, lift their spirits a bit uh, and perhaps um, help them along the way. So, as I said, the suggestion was, why don't, why don't we go on tour? So I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. Let's let's contact some of the men's sheds in these regional towns and see if we can organise a, a concert tour overnight, just just on each town, one one town a night for a week, and uh, organise with them and uh, get some of them involved, get the sheds involved, and get their local community involved as well. And given the challenges of COVID, what's the status of the tour right now? Yeah, well, that's thrown a spanner in the works uh, we, we, yeah, I bet. <laughs> in a lot of ways. But we had had this organised for May of this year uh, and there's been a lot of work gone on behind it with count, with the various uh, councils in the, in the towns that we're going to visit and the men's sheds and uh, had it organised. And then within just a couple of weeks before COVID hit, and of course, we had to postpone the whole thing. Uh, and, and shut it down, but then we thought, well, we'll, we'll ramp it. Things look like they're, they're being uh, improving on the COVID side, so we, we might um, have a look at it, getting it going again, and we, we'd organise again for September this year. But now, with the second wave uh, being a risk, uh, and it's too unpredictable that we've, we've now postponed it further, uh, probably until next year. The guys are keen to go on tour. They're even. Um, we are fundraising locally within our shed. The boys have even said, well, look, if, if we can't get it, we'll pay our own way to do this sort of thing. So uh, they've been very good about it. Fantastic. And obviously 
given all the moving parts, you can't get too married to the idea of an itinerary, but do you have a rough idea where you were going to go or, or at least a, a dream scenario of where you'll go? No, yeah, we, it's more than a dream. We had planned it. Uh, we'd had all the men's sheds on site and, and we'd included uh, the towns that were suffering badly from the, the drought and, and even the floods that were on. And, you know, places like Murundi, Manila, Baraba, Coonabarabran, Baradine and, and Gilgandra. Oh, what a great trip, huh? A fantastic trip. It got all the men's sheds on side that we were with and the councils uh, that were there and even uh, the school kids. Uh, we were inviting the schools in those in those little towns and we and we sort of stayed with the, the small regional towns rather than the larger ones that have more access to support. Uh, we thought maybe the smaller towns would um, appreciate it. Um, so we stayed with them and approached the schools and said, yeah, look, bring, bring uh, the school choir along and we can do a few numbers, uh, Australian songs with the, with the school kids. So it was well in the way of, of planning and arranged and uh, then, of course, we've had to put a stop on it. Of course. I'm sure it will happen in due course. We're just about going to put the red pen through 2020, I think, at this point. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of style of music? You said you might do a few Aussie songs with the kids. Did you get as far as having a playset or a repertoire? A click Goes the Shears and um, Waltz and Matilda and, you know, songs that they're probably familiar with. But we we hadn't got to the point of pinning that down. Uh, that was the next level. Uh, we, we didn't quite get to that. But as far as the, the, the our music group ourselves, uh, the, the covers, the covers music that we do, but pretty much across the board uh, type stuff with, you know, like the Beach Boys and Creedence Clearwater or Elvis Presley and Roy Orbison, you know, all the 60s, 70s, 80s songs that people are familiar with. I think I heard a bit of John Denver before we hooked up, did I? John Denver. John Denver's in there, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, and, and, of course, we can't miss Slim Dusty and... James Blundell and those guys as well. <laughs> Excellent. 22 members, what sort of mix of instruments are involved there? Because it's kind of bigger than a band. Do you split up into different groups or are all 22 on stage? What's the experience like? Uh, all, t- all 22 on stage. And, yes, it can be a little uh, difficult to control at times, but it <laughs> <laughs> depends what the day is. Depends how they're feeling on the day. <laughs> if, well, if the tambourine solo gets out of hand, for example. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, have, we'll try and sort that out. But look, the majority of guitars, of course, um, banjo, uh, drummer, keyboards, uh, and a few other minor instruments that are thrown in there at times as well. So whatever they, they choose to play at the time. They're, they're a good group. They're a good group. They enjoy it. Which came first, the shed or the group? Was it just a happy accident that when you were all turning up to do a bit of woodwork, somebody mentioned they played the bass and someone else mentioned they played lead guitar? No, no, actually, it was at a, one of our general meetings. Someone uh, sort of stood up and said, look, how about why don't we get a, a music group going? Because we have other groups within our shed, other other interests in our shed as well. Of course. And one of them, uh, someone just stood up and said, look, why, why don't we get a, a music group going? And I was always interested in it. And I, I've got a musical background from, from when I was young and had to let it go for a long time. And I thought, well, that's good. I, I wouldn't mind picking my guitar up again. And then it just worked on from there after two of us. And then all of a sudden, out of the woodwork, uh, guys, that you, you just don't know what's talents are in some of your sheds around the place and then out of the woodwork we've got next thing we've got six then eight and then ten and then someone says oh i know this guy down the street he plays he wouldn't mind sort of joining us so it's just grown from there and uh, 
and continued on. And it's, it's getting to the point um, we're running out of room. So it's a combination of both. You found some talent from existing shedders and then the fact that the group was up and running actually attracted new people as well. That's right. Yeah, so they know someone else and uh, they said, oh, well, even to the point where we've been out playing at a, at a function or, or a program somewhere and someone will come up and say, oh, your bloke's not too bad. I wouldn't mind sort of coming to your practice sessions. And, and from there on, it just flows on and uh, you pick up a few people from outside. They become members. They've got to be a member of the shed, of course. Have you got a lead singer or have you got several of them? Several. <laughs> In fact, um, some everyone likes to have a go. Um, but there are several uh, that are, as I said before, they're, they're experienced um, musicians and they're quite good singers. Yeah. Uh, so everyone tries, to, out of practice, we all try to have a, a round of singing included in the day. Such a great project and it's a real additional dimension to a shed, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, it's an extension of, of what sheds are about and uh, it's so, so good for uh, the mentality of, of the guys. I'm sure you've heard it before from other sheds have come in and and they're not feeling well, they're depressed, and then as soon as we get them into an activity and something to do, the, the improvement is quite remarkable. And how's everyone come through the COVID experience so far, with fingers crossed that we have in fact come through? Yeah, well, we've been okay. Uh, none of our members that I'm aware of have, have contracted it or, or had any symptoms of it. Of course, they're getting their testing done and we're doing our testing in the shed now as they come in to try and keep on top of things. But so far, fortunately, uh, we've, we've um, stayed away from it. And the area that we in here, Roman Terrace, have been very fortunate. There's nothing been too severe around here either. If there's someone listening elsewhere in Australia and they might have scratched around one or two blokes with a musical background, do you have any advice on how to pull all of this together and bring it to reality? If you've got someone that's got some experience with it and that want to do it, by all means, uh, go ahead because it's it's one of the best things that you, you'll find uh, uh, you can get involved with. Now, having said that our guys are in the music, and a lot of them only come to the shed for that reason. They're not particularly interested in doing woodwork or metalwork or, or much else in the shed, but they, they are interested in music and they might just turn up for that. But by all means, if there's someone, a shed wanting to do it and they've got a couple of players, go on with it because you'll find you'll get support, particularly if um, out in the community know that there is a group there uh, and you'll often find, oh, gee, I, I played years ago, I'd like to come back in again. And if you've got a leader, you need a leader for your group uh, that can organise your songs and, um, and that's the way to do it because I know there are music groups in other sheds around the place. I, I know I was up at Mount Cravat a while back there and I just happened to land there on the day that they had their music group going as well. And they had a reasonable size um, uh, area there that, that they were using and it sounded quite good. So there are other sheds that, that they use this sort of interest. And uh, if there is anyone else that wants to do it, by all means, go for it. And you'd be happy to take an email from someone if they were interested in getting something off the ground? Absolutely. If, if um, they wanted to a hand with it, uh, we could supply them and, and sort of give them an idea, a list of, of songs that we play, which are not hard. Uh, generally, um, they're all corded music, and um, with a couple of the players that are lead players, they can work out their own style of things. Uh, but I'm quite prepared to help them along with it if they uh, need some uh, guidance on or some advice. Well, get in touch with us here at the Shed Wireless, and we'll put you in touch with Bob if you find yourself in that situation. Bob, it's fantastic, and as I say, all of the things that the sheds do well 
would only be more true when there was music involved, I imagine. So hopefully not only the regional New South Wales tour happens, but we might organise the world tour before we're done. Goodness knows you'll have had plenty of practice by the time we get this thing happening. 2020 is a write-off, but I hope that 2021 embraces the concept and it comes to full fruition. Thanks for telling us all about it today, Bob. Very welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Good on your Bob Bull there from the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed talking about uh, their musical tour that is postponed, but the passion remains. And it is our show and tell project for this episode. Shedder in the Spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. So Shedder in the Spotlight is our chance to learn about the life of a shedder and our special guest from the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed is Ray Gray. G'day, Ray. Hi. What's your story? Uh, Well, my story is back in 2006, I had a stroke. I was uh, brought into the first shed we had here uh, back in 2012 by one of our first members. They sort of looked after me for the first few years, and then I sort of became adopted by everyone at the shed. Since then, I've uh, become part of the uh, community. Let's just rewind a little further. I detect an accent, so you weren't always in Raymond Terrace. No, no. I I started in Canada. That's where I was born, and and, uh, I grew up. I actually moved over here when I was 39. And uh, it was actually just a couple of months after that that I had my scope. So I had it over here. So that explains why you didn't necessarily have a big social group around you. Exactly. Why did you come here? Oh, no, no. I originally came to Australia because uh, it just seemed like a a good time. Uh, My son was four years old, and it just seemed like it was a a good time that if we wanted to experience somewhere else, that would be a good time to bring him over. And not only that, um, the vice president here and his wife happened to be my in-laws. And so it was a a good uh, chance to come over here, being Australia and actually Madawi, to be able to spend some time with them. In that time, I've actually made my uh, uh, father-in-law come over here and become part of the shed himself. Did you have a job prior to the stroke? Because you were quite a young man, right? Yes, I was 39 at the time. And I'd spent a little over 20 years working in uh, industrial control. So the uh, the electronics and control systems you'd find uh, in things like the mills and factories and the, mil- and the uh, mines and such, uh, as well as uh, some time in a uh, job where I was making technology uh, as simple to use as possible. So it was, it was a lot of high-level cognitive stuff that was going on. So did the stroke come as a complete bolt from the blue? Uh, yes, to a certain extent. Uh, my paternal grandmother had the same uh, thing. It was actually a very, a very uh, massive one, and she had the same thing, and it actually took out more than two-thirds of my right side of my brain. My brain. And uh, I also found that myself uh, with uh, very limited use of my left side, in fact, no use of my left arm, this place has been good for me too, this place being the shed, in that there's people that can uh, do the stuff that isn't uh, very safe for me to do. Can you just take me to the moment of the stroke? What actually happened? I went to bed that night and I found myself on the floor 
apparently, and I, my my wife came into the into the room and saw me down there with doing having a bit of a uh, epileptic fit, so we had to uh, call the ambulance. There. A lot of the, the other things into that at that time I don't actually know. I basically have to go based off what people give me because my memory was definitely affected by this. I can imagine. So then you more or less get your senses back in hospital and what sort of function had you lost? You mentioned your arm, but what was your new reality? My re- new reality is that I could not speak. Well, at the time I couldn't sp- uh, couldn't speak at all. Uh, I had no use of my, my leg either. I also still have uh, only half my eyesight. I don't have any left side peripheral vision and as well uh, some cognitive problems as well. So I found myself yeah, basically isolated, not only from a point of view of the active things that I could do, but also cognitively communication. It's something called aphasia, which is a problem that a lot of stroke victims have where you have problems communicating. Can I just state for the record that you're doing a brilliant job right now? It's absolutely remarkable, your recovery, and we'll get to that. But at that point, you're a bloke who hasn't had his 40th birthday. You've got a young child at home, and you've lost all of this function, including the ability to speak. It must have been terrifying, mate. From what I can remember myself, uh, it was very terrifying. In fact, actually, um, I was in the hospital for four months, and after that, when I was sort of con- uh, uh, conscious of what was happening to me, uh, it was very, very terrifying in some uh, ways. What happened with the return of your ability to speak? How did you get that back? Well, first off, it came through of uh, being able to, uh, to swallow first. I couldn't swallow regular food. And uh, I was able to eventually tell people I'd like to see my son. And so at that point, it was actually see David or some phrases here and there. From there, I uh, just, I guess, improved from uh, day to day. It was just a very slow process, being that I did lose so much uh, function. You gave us some sense of it before, but what do you remember of that process? Presumably you were at home, your recovery was well underway, but you were feeling that social isolation, you were really treading this path alone. How did the shed come into your life? Uh, Well, there's a a couple of family friends who uh, knew that I had been active in things like woodwork. Uh, before the stroke, and so they thought oh, it would be a good opportunity for me to, to go back um, into an uh, environment that I did know back before the stroke, and so they took me to the first few uh, meetings, and then uh, eventually I got to the point where the men's shed was actually up and running, and so then they took me into the, into the shed as, as uh, much as they could, and looked after me, and then after a few years, or actually, I guess as a few years went by, the place actually, what could only be called, adopted me, and uh, were taking care of me from doing the things that I couldn't do, or uh, would not be safe for me to do, and also just uh, getting a lot of mateship back. 
So it, uh, because I had a very, I had a very isolated life at that point. It was now a, a place where I could go and uh, feel like one of the blokes. Where would you be without it, right? Uh, well, I think I'd still be very isolated. My communication skills would not be there at all. Uh, I mean, when I started going in, I felt very uh, self-conscious of what I uh, what I could say and and uh, understand. And I think that would still be the case if it wasn't for this place. One of the things about men, and I'm talking in broad brushes here, but we don't like to be an imposition, you know, we like to be on top of our game all the time. Were you struck by the generosity of the men? Oh, yes. Uh, not only in, in time, but in taking into account my condition and you know, starting to include me into conversations and things that were happening as I could, uh, as I could actually comprehend them a little bit more. What's day-to-day quality of life like for you now? Oh, great. And uh, I'm able to have a conversation like we are now. I'm able to do what I can with the uh, use of the one part of, or the one side of my, my body. I can do a lot more physical things with my son. I'm not at a point where I can go very physical in a lot of the stuff, but I can be there in those situations with him. Spend some time with my, my wife and son outside doing things, things like here, I can actually take, get a lot of that, that uh, thinking skills and, and doing things too, which you know, I was at a point where I couldn't do anything. And so it's, it's, it's good that I can say that I'm doing things that not only are good from a physical point of view, but also from getting that uh, free matter to still be uh, taxed and still, still used, which actually the use of the of the brain. If you don't use it, you lose it. Well, it's it's good that I can do, use what I still have left. You sound genuinely happy, Ray. Oh, definitely. As I've said, you know, uh, coming to this place is a place that I was then getting the the mateship and getting the the uh, fellows helping with my recovery. Well, I don't know what it says about your stroke and your recovery and the state of the rest of us, but this may be the most articulate conversation I've had in a long time, mate. So <laughs> oh, thank you. It's an absolute credit to you. You should take a bow. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your story, one that could have ended in tragedy, but with the Sheds playing a role, has ended in fulfilment and happiness. Thanks for being our Shedder in the Spotlight, mate. No problem. Thank you. Ray Gray, Shedder in the Spotlight at the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed. Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. Every shed has a story. Every shed is a story. And to tell us the story of the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed, we have Treasurer and Shed Manager, Frank Saysner. G'day, Frank. G'day, Aaron. How are we? Yeah, great, thank you. In telling the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed story, it's pretty helpful to start with your personal story because they're pretty closely intertwined. My wife and myself did a trip up north, and on the way we uh, called in some uh, men's sheds on the way, and uh, all I wanted to do was just check them out because I heard about the uh, men's shed movement, and I thought what a great concept it is, 
and uh, I thought, well, I'd like to uh, just uh, have a look and see what they're all about. So when I got back home again, I said to my wife, well, this is what, this is what we've got to have in Raw Materials, a men's shed. So I was working in my, uh, in my garage making toys for my grandkids at that time, but now I make toys at home for the shed because I don't get time to do them here in the shed because being treasurer and shed manager uh, takes up all my time here in the mornings. So uh, I, was, I was working in my shed and I heard on the radio that they were talking about starting a, having a meeting to start uh, a men's shed here in Roma Terrace. My ears pricked and I thought, ah, that's where I've got to go to this meeting to find out what it's all about. So I went to this meeting. As it was, uh, they had a, a representative from the Australian Men's Shed Association uh, in the name of uh, Stuart Torrance to, to uh, give us a verge on uh, what uh, men's sheds were about. And uh, after that meeting, the three of us got together, uh, Bob Bull, who I spoke a while ago, Graham Berthold and myself, and we thought, what a great idea. This is something we need to do in Roman Terrace. So uh, we discussed a few things and we thought, well, how are we going to go about it? How are we going to find out what it's all about? Uh, I knew there was a, an uh, Australian Men's Head Association. We could approach them and get information from them. But uh, as it was, we uh, went to a uh, cluster meeting in Belmont. There we spoke to a lot of the guys from different sheds and uh, they informed us what sheds were all about and how to to get started. So then we got into Australian Men's Head Association. They gave us this bill on what to do from there. So uh, that's that's how actually uh, I got involved with it initially. How did you get the actual shed, the location? Uh, once the uh, steering committee was formed, then we went out and started looking for places to, uh, to start a men's shed. Council gave us some uh, ideas where we looked around. Uh, but right from the beginning, our idea was to start a men's shed or have a men's shed here in Boomerang Park. Uh, a lot of the other places that they showed us were uh, not suitable or too far away where Boomerang Park was central in Roman Terrace. As it went on, we uh, we heard that the fire station was available, only being a small building, there was not a lot much room in it. Uh, we thought, well, that, 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 that'll be a start anyway. So we, we grabbed it, started working on it. We uh, painted it, uh, put electrical work into it, tied it all up. And then we thought, well, this is not big enough for a shed. It's only a large garage. So we got some money together and decided that we uh, put some awnings outside so we can work outside as well. So we were were in there for uh, about five years. I imagine being out there under the awning on a cold winter's day with the wind blowing in sideways kept everyone focused on getting better premises, did it? It was, that's for sure, yeah. (laughs) The the idea was that we had to get out of this uh, fire station. We need to get something a bit bigger and something a bit more comfortable. (laughs) And you certainly have. You've got a Rolls Royce now, haven't you? Oh, we've got a magnificent building here now. Give us some sense of it. The size of it, it's, well, it's uh, 40 metres by 20 metres. We have a large a woodworking area. One side of the woodworking area is all machinery. The other side is all preparation work. Then we have a section at the back of the, the shed, which is all metal work. Uh, outside the back of the shed, we also have more sheds. We put up uh, four demountable sheds, one to carry our kindling that we do. We uh, do a lot of kindling. The other is for the wood turners. Uh, they've got all timber in there drying out. For their wood turning, and uh, the other one is uh, a garden shed for our gardening group. We have a fantastic gardening group here. We've got market, market, like a market garden out the side of, of our shed with different uh, pods of different vegetables in them. And then at the uh, the front end of the shed, we have our, our office, uh, our lunchroom, 
taller blocks and then a large uh, recreation area, uh, which also has a computer room in, which I'm in at the moment, which where we teach the guys how to use computers and also a sick bay area. So uh, it's, it's a fairly large, large area. Come a long way from the awnings. We have, we have, most certainly. I'm interested, Frank, in the mix of men at the shed because Raymond Terrace is an interesting place for those people who aren't aware. There's the council administration centre there, but it's an agricultural area. It was once a strong dairying area. There's a major RAAF base nearby. Where are you drawing your men from and what are their backgrounds? Uh, we have backgrounds from all, all different type of people here. You know, uh, I, I'm an ex-pastry uh, uh, cook and baker. Then I went uh, I was involved in a car accident, so I had to, unfortunately, uh, my business went uh, bust, so I uh, went into uh, painting. Toy making is my hobby. Uh, we have doctors here, policemen, lawyers, general public, people without any experience that come in and say, well, listen, I'd li- like to do something. I'm sick of sitting around the house doing nothing. They come here and we say, well, what, 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 what would you like to do? Oh, I'd like to make toys. I'd say, okay, well, Tuesday is our toy making day. Come in on Tuesday and we'll show you how to make toys. And in terms of the various projects, obviously there's woodworking going on with the toy making. We've heard about the band and the amazing work that they do, or the music group more properly, as it's called. It's too, too big to be a band. What other sort of activities and projects are underway there? Well, uh, we're, we're doing an, uh, a big project at the moment for uh, St Vincent de Paul. Uh, they got their uh, big uh, collection bins. Uh, which used to be uh, were, were built by a uh, jail somewhere in Goulburn. Uh, unfortunately, that, that has fallen through, uh, so they can't get the new bins built now. So they're bringing the old bins to us, and we're repairing. They're all rusty and, and falling apart, and we just rebuild them, repaint them, and put new labels on them. That's one project we do. We do a lot of community work, uh, just about in the process of putting a fence up out at Hinton for a memorial down there. So... Uh, we do that type of work. We have people coming in with different jobs they want done, and uh, we uh, we just repair chairs and things like that. Also, people see things on the internet and say, come in and say, can you make that for me? I said, will you give me a photo, give me the measurements, and we'll quote it, and uh, we'll do it for you. And plus, our toy 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 making is a big part of our our shed. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that. If I lob in with no real experience and say, hey, I'm interested in making toys for my grandkids, what would you likely tip me into? Well, we'll start you with a basic toy, a little, little, little cut-out square, a, toy, a car rather, with, with and put some holes in, put a couple of wheels on it, and uh, we'll start you with that. Then we just progress to to uh, the larger toys. We've got one guys here that make toys that have got hydraulics and everything on them. Just uh, as as far as the shed sales go, we had an, uh, a toy sale here three weeks ago. Over the COVID period, we, uh, we were still making toys at home. There's about four of us still making toys at home. We were inundated with toys. We had that much stock. We thought, well, we've got to start getting rid of it. So we put an ad in the paper and uh, said, well, we're having this sale on, on a Saturday morning. Uh, we had one person come in and bought a $90 uh, toy. So I thought I'll, I'll run I'll run an ad again. We'll try again. Uh, nobody turned up. So I said to the guys, "No, this is no good." So I said, "What about we put on Facebook and marketplace?" Then the following mm-hmm. Sunday, people just come from everywhere. We sold three and a half thousand dollars worth of toys in three hours, mm-hmm. and they come from Musselbrook, Cessna, Singleton, Central Coast, Newcastle. They come from everywhere. 
And then we had to get another one last Sunday and sold another eighteen hundred dollars worth of toys. So that's where our that's where our main income is from uh, toy sales. You got good numbers there. You got good variety. You've got a lot of interesting projects going on. You have a great location, and you all worked hard to make that happen. Clearly, by any measure, you're a successful shed. What advice would you give other sheds and shedders across the country about holding together a shed, progressing it, and keeping so many blokes happy and satisfied and engaged? Well, as shed manager, I uh, I, I like to help the guys in whatever they want to do. Uh, yeah, as far as the shed goes, you can come and do as much as you want or as little as you want. There's no no pressure on anybody. The works there. If somebody comes in and says, "I'd like to do something," I give them a job. They do it, and they're happy. Far far as uh, what type of work they want uh, to do, that's up to them. Uh, I give I I say, "Well, you listen. This job's available. You can do this job. If you want to do it, go ahead. If you don't, well, I'll get somebody else." And uh, I, I think it's just uh, no pressure on anybody. They come, they go. They can do as little as they want. And uh, I think that's the concept of the shed. I don't think we should uh, pressure guys into doing what they uh, don't want to do or not sure that they can do. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, all the guys here are happy with what they're doing and uh, that's fine. In a lot of communities across Australia, the sheds are right at the heart of it, but there's nowhere where that's any more true than in Raymond Terrace. You guys are are almost local celebrities in that part of the world, and the shed is just going gangbusters. Looking forward to seeing all of your projects come to fruition and might even swing by and grab some toys before Christmas myself. Thank you very much for telling us the shed story, Frank. Okay, thank you too. Good on you. That is Treasurer and Shed Manager at Raymond Terrace Men's Shed, Frank Seisner. Would you like to put your shed in the spotlight? Just contact us via email, theshedwireless at mensshed.net, and we'll take care of the rest. Stuart, I know that you feel like your role at AMSA as the Men's Health Project Officer, is enhanced by what you've heard on Ask the Doc. So pick a favourite for us. Well, obviously, Aaron, I'd, I'd like to sort of focus on a couple of episodes that you did on the prostate. They, they were fantastic and well worth playing again. And the, the, the first one just covered so much information about the prostate and what we now know about it, uh, what it does and all the else. So that was very interesting from that aspect. The other episode... Uh, was uh, talking about the test that the GP does. And I've noticed actually a reluctance in in, uh, my GP wanting to do a PSA. And it's uh, stimulated some very interesting discussions. But what I liked about that episode was your analogy, Aaron, in regards to blowing in the bag. And the analogy that the PSA test was just one of those little processes that we put in place to ensure that we only capture those that are under the influence, so to speak, or have something that is worth investigating. So I thought that was a very interesting analogy uh, in regards to what the PSA test is. And I really thank uh, Healthy Male for really working with the um, health community in regards to pushing forward, you know, this PSA testing. I'd also like to sort of give a shout out to episode nine, which was on irritability a subject very close to my heart when I haven't had enough sleep. But then there was episode 10, when Dr. Rob talked about eyesight, 
talked about his eye problems, but the thing that caught me, Aaron, was he tells me he's a fly fisherman. And Dr. Rob, I think you and I better go fishing one day. Got a question? Ask the doc, Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. This is your opportunity to ask a real doctor a men's health question. It might be something you've always been curious about. It might be something you'd like to engage on with your doctor, but I'd like to have a few facts in your back pocket before you undertook that process. Well, we want to hear from you. And you're most welcome to go by a nickname, a false name, whatever. Your privacy will be fully respected, I promise. But send us a question that you would like answered to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Professor Rob McLaughlin, AM, is a director of Healthy Mail, formerly Andrology Australia. They are valued partners of the Australian Men's Shed Association. And he's our shed wireless doctor in the house. Hello, Rob, and welcome. Hey, Aaron, good day. How are you? Today we are going to boldly go where not every radio discussion would boldly go and we're going to tackle, for want of a better word, the prostate, the walnut, the jelly bean. Yes, prostate for dummies, prostate 101. I got one, you got one. What is it, Rob? Oh, well, the prostates are a little a gland about the size of a walnut that sits beneath the bladder and around the urethra, around the urinary tube. And... Uh, its, its role, it seems to be to produce fluid that nurtures and supports the sperm on their way. Uh, so it's part of the reproductive process. Um, apart from uh, that role, it doesn't seem to have any other function. But uh, due to its location, it can certainly cause us men some concern when things go wrong with it. And things do go wrong, don't they? Yes, they, they do. And I think uh, as you get older, it's inevitable that the prostate grows. Uh, it always grows with men uh, as they age. And sometimes it grows to a degree where it can uh, uh, make uh, passing urine more difficult. Uh, it can cause some irritation uh, and some symptoms that go with uh, uh, like wanting to void, uh, having to uh, trouble stopping and starting, those sorts of things. So there's the that's the benign growth that's inevitable with age. Some men have problems from it that, that upset them. Others, it just doesn't matter. Why does it grow? Well, it just grows as part of aging in men. It's, it's, its growth is driven by testosterone and it's inevitable. Like ears and nose hair, right? Yeah, that's right. Like, no, like ear hair, yeah. What's the point? I don't know. But, uh, but it does grow. And as I say, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't matter. If it matters, it can, it can be uh, the subject of discussion with your doctor. Uh, those symptoms of uh, difficulty starting and stopping and uh, poor urinary flow, uh, there's a lot that can be done and explored about that now. Uh, back in you know, our father's day, they always had the old rebore operation, right, to make all the tube open up again. That's often not necessary now. There are uh, pills that can help the urinary flow, and as long as the man's happy and the, the symptoms are well under control, that's all that might take. So that's benign prostate growth or enlargement, part of life. The one, I guess, that men fear most is the cancerous growth in the prostate. Uh, that's where uh, uh, an area uh, develops a, a cancer, uh, and that cancer uh, may be of a type that's quite aggressive. It can grow quickly. It can spread uh, beyond the prostate. It can spread into the pelvis or, or elsewhere, and that's, I think, you know, what's a, a great concern to many men. 
One of the things we know now about prostate cancer is they're not all the same in the way they behave. Some of them are quite uh, slowly growing, sort of uh, indolent. They kind of grumble along and may eventually actually cause no problem to the man. Uh, on the other hand, there are sorts of cancers that, as I say, can be very aggressive and get people in all sorts of strife at an early age. So uh, I'm sure your, your listeners will all have had experiences with different types and grades of prostate cancer and the discussions that flow from that are, uh, you know, what should you do, if anything? Um, should you just watch and see what happens or should you operations or, or uh, radiation therapy, all sorts of options? It's a very big area. And I'm sure that many of your listeners will have issues that they want to raise there that have affected them or somebody they know. Um, I guess uh, one question we often think is, you know, who particularly should or, you know, ought to be aware of this possibility? And family history of prostate cancer is probably the most important thing to know about about your own situation. So, you know, if your brother or uncle or dad have had it, then you are at an increased risk. And I think in terms of discussions you might have with your doctor, you, that, that needs to be something that's, that you, you bear in mind. And the third thing uh, about the prostate that can go awry uh, is it can become inflamed, like prostatitis or inflammation of the prostate, which can cause uh, uh, lower abdominal pain and symptoms and uh, fever and be, you know, be, be again, a very uh, you know, unpleasant uh, condition. Inflammation and enlargement aren't the same thing? No, they're not. And uh, I guess that's coming back to the cancer and the benign growth, they're not the same thing. People often get confused that, uh, an enlarged prostate, which I said is inevitable as you get older, is like prostate cancer. They're independent things. They're different. And, you know, they, you need to think of them quite quite separately. Same gland, different disease, different set of problems. And the same with prostatitis. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're what the prostate can do, you know, to make our life, uh, you know, problematic. Uh, and, uh, of course, I mentioned its location before um, at the base of the bladder around the around the, the, the urinary tube. So you can imagine that uh, surgery or other sorts of treatments you might give directly to the prostate could uh, be troubled by that location. It's a difficult area to get to. And also the little nerves that are part of the uh, erection mechanism travel through the outer layer of the prostate on their way to the penis. So again, you could imagine that if you have operations that cut through the outsternal out capsule of, of the prostate, uh, you know, you can cause erection problems. So uh, you'll see, you know, obviously, in the, in the cancer area, lots of discussion about uh, treatment side effects, uh, such as urinary incontinence or erectile dysfunction as a consequence of treatment. So it's a very, very complicated area, and really it has to be considered on a man-by-man -man basis. You know, a comment that somebody might make may have no relevance to your own situation because you're different. So these are very personalised, you know, uh, conversations you have with your doctor and your your urologist, who in fact will be doing uh, uh, giving most of these consultations to you, because we're, we're all our situations are all a little bit different. Rob, everything you've talked about so far has been fairly anatomical. Just a word on the psychological. Mm. It's like this little thing came from Satan himself. First of all, you access it through the backside. Secondarily. If it plays up on you, it affects either your ability to pee or your ability to get a boner. Yes. Thirdly, if it goes badly wrong, it can take your life. And I don't know what sort of circles other people mix in, but in the circles I mix in, guys don't love sitting around talking about their doodles. Yeah, 
you know, you're right, Erin. It's a pretty tedious little discussion to have. You know, it's, it, it seems the location uh, and the problems that flow from the, the diseases could really get into your head. And, uh, I, you know, that, that is certainly the case, uh, particularly for men with, uh, with prostate cancer and the concerns they have not just about the disease that they have and what that might mean, uh, but also about their sexuality, their uh, relationships. Uh, will they, will they, or won't they uh, have trouble with urination or with erections after treatments? Uh, and, you know, in some of the men uh, who have the more aggressive forms that have gone beyond the prostate, uh, it's necessary to lower the testosterone level in their blood to a very low level to stop the tumour from growing. This is not a common situation, but it can certainly occur. And that has all the problems of a, basically a zero testosterone in terms of energy and muscle and, uh, and so on. So, you know, it, there can be a lot of really in-your-head type issues that arise from this. And uh, the doctor and the partner of the man uh, and the man himself have to try and work their way through these. You know, to come back, it's not always that. I mean, benign overgrowth is not going to nearly cause that amount of issues. It's that un unfortunate minority that have the aggressive sorts of, of prostate cancer uh, that require those interventions. They're the ones who are particularly, I think, at risk of, of the psychological side effects uh, and, and trauma uh, that such a sensitive uh, topic will, will bring up. Absolutely. So... We are here to help. We want to be a resource. We want to get quality answers to your genuine questions. So please send one to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Happy to put your name to it? Good. Good for you. If not, happy to give you anonymity as well. You have my word on that. But Rob, even though you have enormous expertise in this area, this is so specialised, this is so specific that there is an army of medical experts who know the intricacies of the various aspects of prostate treatment, prostate problems, and even prostate cancer, not to mention testing. And we're able to access these people in coming episodes if our questions demand it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Healthy Male has, uh, uh, as our friends and colleagues, uh, the A-team really of, of uh, people across the country, uh, particularly in the urological area, and uh, I'd be very happy to, to, to co-host uh, with you and uh, one of those uh, good folk about things like, for example, active surveillance of prostate cancer rather than active intervention. That's a very topical issue. Or about the, the meaning of a PSA blood test and the new MRI scanning that's involved, they're very specific issues. Uh, and I think we could probably reassure some people about uh, about what those tests do or don't mean. And so absolutely, I'd love to, to bring along some uh, some colleagues to, to help really get to the nitty-gritty of the questions that you might uh, get on board. This thing can be a terrorist, and so we want to be alert but not alarmed, informed but not fearful. And so, over coming episodes, we will continue to draw on the expertise of Rob, but we will also drill down, <laughs> pun intended, with some <laughs> other experts in this field. Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Male, formerly Andrology Australia, our valued Australian Men's Shed Association partners. Thanks for being the doc that we ask. My pleasure always. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au.
Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Time now for some season's greetings from our friends in Parliament. Let's start with the Health Minister and one-time Shed Wireless guest, Greg Hunt. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Well, welcome everyone to the Shed Wireless. As we go into Christmas, we reflect on what has been the hardest of years for so many Australians. And our men's sheds are always important. This year they've been, I think, even more important. You know better than me. So many of your members will have challenges and loneliness. And there have been times when the sheds have not been available. But the connection that you have formed, whether it's directly within the shed or by maintaining your networks this year has been so important and will continue to be vital. wasn't that long ago in Albany in WA I uh, visited the extraordinary shed that they have there and uh, I met a gentleman who, who said to me, but for the shed I wouldn't be here. And uh, he was pretty clear that he'd reached rock bottom and it was the shed that provided him with the community, the support, the sense of purpose. His thing was gardening, and he was the gardener for the shed. But uh, he was very upfront, and he allowed me to talk about it. And uh, that's what you do. You save lives and you protect lives. You have a lot of fun, and then you support beautiful kids with the toys that you make or the community with the things that you do. There's no better example of that Australian volunteer spirit or of Australian mateship in real action. And It's our privilege to support you. Yep, there's some significant funding, but that's not what today's about. I want to thank AMSA, the Australian Men's Shed Association, for all of your work. Our privilege is to support over a 1,000 sheds around Australia, to let you do your work. And uh, it's been a difficult 2020, but our Australian results have been amazing. And you've helped protect and support each other. And for that, I want to thank you and honour you and wish you all the best for 2020. This is The Shed Wireless. G'day. I'm Mark Colton, the Minister for Regional Health. Great to be able to catch up with you and wish all the shedders right across Australia uh, a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a prosperous New Year. I understand 2020 has been pretty tough for the sheds. A lot of them have been closed for a while, but so pleased to see you all back and operating and uh, fulfilling that really important role that you do in the community and uh, keeping everyone connected. Um, All the best for 2021 and look forward to catching up with as many of you as I can next year. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Hi, Ted O'Brien here, the Federal Member for the seat of Fairfax and a big supporter of men's sheds and the shed movement. Well, 2020, what a year, thanks to COVID-19. You know, there are now fewer and fewer Australians participating in community organisations than we've ever seen. Less than one in 10 Australians actively participate. And this is at a time as we come out of COVID-19 um, when people need strong community organisations. But there's one organisation that continues to grow and that's the men's shed movement. There are more and more men's sheds and there are more and more people signing up to men's sheds, which means despite an erosion 
of civil society elsewhere, men's sheds continue to grow because demand for what you do is so high. And for that, can I just say a very big thank you. It's no wonder the federal government wants to continue to support men's sheds through grants and tax deductibility and so forth. Can I wish all men in all men's sheds a very Merry Christmas and he's hoping that 2021 is a more stable and healthier year for the entire world and particularly for our own nation. Thank you. God bless. We've pulled the door closed on this episode and this year on The Shed Wireless, but not before we get our Christmas messages. I'm not sure which one of them is Santa Claus and which one is the Queen. Perhaps you can decide that after you hear their messages. So let's go first to the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, David Helmers. David, please, the floor is yours. Address the shedders at the end of the year that was 2020. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Look, to all the guys out there, Merry Christmas. Yeah, as usual, we hope you'll all have a good break and look after each other in the shed and as what shedders do, shoulder to shoulder, and keep an eye on everybody and spend some great time with your family and friends. And we look forward to seeing you all when the sheds open the doors up in mid to late January next year. And we hope next year's a better year. Thank you for all of your efforts and for guiding us through what has been a challenging year on many, many fronts. Merry Christmas to you and yours as well, David. Yeah, and you too, Aaron. And thank you for all your efforts throughout the year, mate. It's been a lot of work. Uh, Sticky tape and barbed wire sometimes, but we pulled it together. (laughs) (laughs) Chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association is Paul Sladden. Paul, your Christmas address, please. Uh, Look, season's greetings to uh, all the shedders out there. Congratulations on surviving what has been a tough year. My message right throughout the year has been stay safe, stay sane and don't forget to breathe. And that certainly applies over the festive season. So look after yourselves, look after your loved ones and try and uh, refresh, regenerate. And let's make 2021 an even bigger and better year where we can hopefully get back to some normality. I want to also uh, give my best wishes to the staff and my fellow board members and congratulate them on uh, the work that they have done over the past 12 months. And uh, to yourself, Aaron, again, with this initiative, uh, it's been absolutely fantastic and does show the uh, the innovation of the shed movement. So in the words of Dave Allen, may your God go with you. <laughs> Beautiful address. Thank you very much, Paul. And as I say, you've been quite forthcoming on a few of the episodes about the challenges that have been thrown in your lap above and beyond the challenges that we've all had in 2020 and the fact that you have been an unwavering leader as chair of the board is uh, something that is deserving of great thanks and respect. So a Merry Christmas to you and yours, and I hope you hit everything out of the park in 2021. Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail, it has been one of the highlights of my 2020 to get to know you and to access your wisdom. I've talked more about what's up a bloke's bottom than I ever thought I would in a lifetime, let alone in 2020. But thank you for your super valuable contribution to the Shed Wireless. Oh, look, Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to 
part of the Shadow Radio team, really. Uh, I, I've, it's been a privilege and I, I've enjoyed our segments and uh, 2021, bring it on. Perhaps we do some more uh, in the future. But to this point in time, have a terrific Christmas and New Year. Keep safe, keep healthy, keep happy and all the best to you. Stuart Torrance, Merry Christmas and thank you. Merry Christmas, Aaron. Hope you and yours have all the, all the blessings of the season, mate. And as always, Rip Woodchip, we're going to give you the final word. Merry Christmas, mate. Thanks, Aaron, and Merry Christmas to all you shitters out there and everybody. Mate, the best time of the year. Now I'm off to wrap some presents. I bought the missus a new whippersnipper. I hope she likes it. Well, I actually hope she doesn't like it. Anyway, fellas, best of luck to you. Merry Christmas. Have a great time, and I'll see you next year. See you, guys. Thank you so much, Rip. Thank you to Helen Clare, Emma Bredenhan, and the whole AMSA team, to all of our sheds who've been a part of the Shed Wireless. But mostly I want to say thank you to those of you who have listened. As both David and Paul have alluded to, this was an emergency response. The Shed Wireless, we're all about avoiding isolation. We're all about connection. And isolation and disconnection became compulsory across the country. And this was how we as a peak organisation wanted to respond to offer support. I know it got a few of you out of your comfort zone. The damn podcasts weren't necessarily on your horizon. Thank you to those who were brave. I say it every week. Thank you to the evangelists who did know what they were doing and took it to people who perhaps didn't naturally come to this. I think you've done a huge service. It has been an honour to be involved. Oh, yeah, it's been some work. (laughs) When I think of 2020, I will think of sitting in my shed trying to connect with far-flung people on ill-prepared technology, but it's all been worth it. I hope you will agree. Here is to a healthy, happy, hopeful 2021. And on behalf of The Shed Wireless, I'm Aaron Carney. Merry Christmas. Shed Wireless is available via some community radio stations. Contact your local station to find out when you can hear us. If they don't have the show, put them in touch and we'll help them out. You can also find the Shed Wireless in Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Red Circle or just Google us. Wherever you find us, please subscribe so that each new episode gets delivered straight to you. Giving a rating or review helps others to find us more easily. But most of all, please share us with your mates even if they've never seen a shed through email, newsletters, word of mouth ring a mate and give him the tip maybe your wife might even like it we love your email correspondence to theshedwireless at menshed.net or just head to the AMSA website www.menshed.org and see what's going on with the shed online while you're there it's also a great way to connect with a range of resources, websites and national helplines including Beyond Blue If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 or Men's Line on 1300 99 78 99. Thanks for listening to The Shed Wireless, the wireless you'd listen to if you were in the shed. (laughs) 